and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast, the Holiday Jam 2020 edition. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever holiday you celebrate. We hope you're healthy and happy and safe, especially during this crazy time. We've got a great group chat today with some lit managers, some screenwriters, some TV writers and producers and support staffers, as well as a few of our SNS Discord uh, moderators and some Patreon supporters of uh, the Scripts and Scribes channel. So let's get it all started. We've got a bunch of people in the waiting room, and we're going to start inviting everyone in. Admit all. We're admitting everybody at the same time. Hello and welcome, everybody. Hey, man. Hey, John Zalzerny. What else we got here? Dan Seco. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how are you? Everybody's got to unmute themselves and also um, turn on their video. It's not turned on automatically. Are they are we recording the video for this as well? Yeah, uh, we're recording both. Okay, we started recording yet? Yes, we are. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, we are recording. All right, so who else is here? Let's see. I'm going to go down the list here. Um, because everyone's in a window... Um, if you could wave when I introduce you so that those viewing us uh, can see who is who. Um, Dan Seco, lit manager, producer from Schemers Entertainment. Hello, Dan. How are you? Hey, Kevin. How are you? Good. Um, John Zazerny, the usual Hello. suspect. Uh, lit manager, producer from Bellevue Productions. Um, Aaron Wiener. Are you here, Aaron? There you are, Aaron. How are you, buddy? Good, how you doing? Good. Writer on Disney's Sydney to the Max. Um, Chris Cook. Are you here, Chris? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you. Chris Cook, literary, literary manager and producer from Skyway Entertainment. Ed McCarthy. Are you here, Ed? I am. There you are, Ed. You got your holiday hat on? One. What's that? I'm the only festive one. I was going to go get festive attire. I'm going to put my, I'll be back. Oh, yeah, you guys yeah, go get some festive attire. <laughs> I have a shirt that says, uh, Oh, okay. Let's see if you can read it. Oh, get Yeti. Oh, for the, oh, very cute. There we go. Um, and so Ed is a uh, writer's assistant <laughs> on Amazon's Paper Girls and USA's, USA Network's Dare Me. And he's got a project that's perfect for Paula Abdul, which we <laughs> probably like to hear more about. Um, uh, Matthew Bryan. Yes. Matt, you showed up. I did. Matt is one of our longtime uh, Scripts and Scribes uh, Patreon supporters, and you've got a festive drink. What are you drinking today, Matt? I'm uh, drinking natural wine. Natural, nat- okay, well, what is natural wine? Sounds like an oxymoron, I know. Um, it just doesn't <laughs> have a lot of the uh, sugars and things like that, so there really is no hangover. Okay, great. Uh, and uh, Matt is also a writer. And so uh, what are some of the contests you have been involved with? Um, let's see, I was a quarterfinalist in the Nickel um, page. There might be quite a few, like my brain. I love when this happens, like on the spot, I like freeze up and can't remember right. um, all the things I've been in. But uh, Big Break, um, Blue Cat, just kind of all those quarterfinalists. Gotcha. Uh, finalist in page not too long ago so yeah that was fun no that's great and you know we pre- i'm glad you could make it yeah i'm, I'm happy to be here it. and uh, i appreciate all your support um and uh, we've got rob edwards hey rob hey rob how are you 
Great, great. How you doing? Good. Rob is uh, a screenwriter on Disney's Princess and the Frog and Treasure Planet and a ton of other film and TV series, some of which you may have heard of, like uh, Full House, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Living Color, Different World. So I always love chatting with Rob. And uh, my buddy, Matt Pitts. Matt? Hello, Matt. How are you? This is not. This is not my normal attire. This is my Tony Stark <laughs> Christmas uh, switch sweater that I, I bought last year, and I haven't gotten a war. So uh, this is a good opportunity to wear it. And Matt is one of the nicest people that you'll ever meet. Not just in Hollywood, just in general. He's just a great guy. He's co-EP on Westworld currently, cool. um, and he's also, interestingly enough, uh, a former assistant to J.J. Abrams, which is always an interesting topic for conversation. Um, and we've got a couple other people here, but they're, un- they're muted currently. Uh, Clint Williams, who's also one of our um, uh, Patreon supporters, he's also here. So thank you guys all. We've got a few other people maybe showing up and some people leaving early, so. Um, yeah, but I have to show my, 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 my Yes, my please tire. do so. This is my attire, I don't know if you guys can see it. Nice. Old Die Hard, <laughs> I got from the new Beverly. This clearly awesome. settles the debate as to whether Die Hard is a Christmas, Christmas movie or movie, not. Yes. Which, yeah. which is actually one of the questions I was going to bring up. That's my answer right here. Right. I actually got into a debate on the podcast a couple of year, <laughs> years ago with Rhett Reese, um, who wrote uh, Zombieland, about just that. And he defended it to his death, or would defend it to his death. He's obviously and it was a, <laughs> writing absolutely. Deadpool. Um, right. So, well, you brought it up. Is uh, Die Hard a Christmas movie? Matt? <laughs> Which one? There's two Matts now. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll start off with Matt Pitts, and then we'll go to Matt Bryan. It's funny. I would always say that Die Hard is a Christmas <laughs> movie, but today on Yahoo, and I haven't read the article yet, there is a uh, why Die Hard's director says that uh, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, which I would like to read because that's bullshit. Of course, it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> he get to decide. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Matt Bryan, is is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I think it's a movie set in Christmas. I wouldn't call it a Christmas movie. Ooh. <laughs> um, uh, Dan? Yeah, I, I think what Matt Bryan just said totally makes sense. It's definitely set in Christmas. You can go either way, whether it's actually a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. So and I'm McCarthy. not going to take a hard line stance. Like you're you're going to take a hard line. I got you. No, no, no. no. Oh, I'm not going to take a um, you're agnostic, Dan. Your your position yeah. is termed agnostic. Ed McCarthy, Die Hard um, a Christmas movie or not? I don't have a very strong opinion, but I will say since I have the urge to watch it more during the holiday season, yes, it's a Christmas movie. Okay. Um, who else do we have that has not answered yet? Rob Edwards, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Absolutely. For And for the same reason that uh, Ed had. You know, you, you watch it on Christmas. If... If Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, then Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chris Cook, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? If, if Christmas is in your heart, then yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I have Christmas in my heart 365 days a year, so absolutely. <laughs> All movies are Christmas movies then, Chris. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Aaron, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Absolutely. Any movie you watch during the holidays is a Christmas movie to me. Uh, that's, that's how I feel about it. And I also wanted to mention, I was scrolling through Hulu the other day, and uh, there was like a section, you know how they section off all the movies? There was mm-hmm. a section that was called the Nicolas Cage Collection. I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> nice. And uh, 
I found myself perusing the family man and uh, the weather man and all of these also like really kind of emotional holiday themed movies. Hmm. Family uh, man is a go-to for me every year we watch the family man. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. For a second, I thought you were talking about fam- in my head. I'm thinking family guy. I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> traditions. Everyone's got their own traditions, but family man. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and we're joined by Captain M. Dudd, uh, Emma Dudley, one of the funniest women on Twitter and writer on Fast and the Furious Spy Racers and a Sundance fellow. Welcome. Welcome, Captain. Thank you. Excited to, to be invited and be here. I actually got dressed today, so we're off to a good start. That's always a plus. Yeah. Well, actually, it's probably not a plus. Especially yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but, you know, I did it for you guys. <laughs> um, so we guess we have to ask you now, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yeah, I mean, I've heard some compelling arguments, so yes. Die Hard's a Christmas movie? Yeah. But all I have to say is my shirt says ho, ho, ho. If it's not a Christmas movie, how is that, how is that possible? Making <laughs> well, I, okay, I, my question is, would you consider then Lethal Weapon? Uh, Iron Man 3, would you call them Christmas movies? Yeah. You know, Shane Black loves Christmas, but... I think so. I mean, like, look, I would say my argument also would go back to the principles of the movie, which is about, in my opinion, a proud man who has to learn humility. Since the whole point of the movie is I've never said, I say I love you a million times, but I've never said I'm sorry, which you could connect back to the Christmas Carol um, and that kind of idea. It's about a man who's coming back to see his family that he's been estranged from. And through the course of the film, he ends up, you know, learning humility. And hopefully at the end of the movie, I'm going to pretend the other movies don't exist in this version. uh, He gets back together with them, right? You could argue that the terrorists had never taken over Nakatomi Plaza. He and his wife may not have reconciled since the last conversation they had before the terrorists took over was a fight, essentially, that he couldn't help himself getting into over her using her maiden name, essentially. So this is my argument. If the, if the terrorists had not taken over Nakatomi Plaza, he and his wife would remain estranged. Due to the events of the movie where he learns humility, he and his, he and his wife reconcile. Um, also, the movie has uh, ho-ho-ho in it that he wears. Uh, or rather so so, the, so the, the terrorist attack is a Christmas miracle, yeah. right? See, there you go. Hmm. One, one could say one could say that <laughs> or rather a key moment in Die Hard that people forget is there's a moment where they're about to like go take down Bruce Willis like early on when he's like when they, they've just started attacking but then there's a woman and a man having sex and the woman is topless so the terrorist is distracted by her and doesn't look so when so John McClane can run to the stairwell that's the Christmas miracle right there that enables the entire movie to exist I think had, not been, had not been you know in the in, in flagrante or in flagranto uh then the terrorists would have seen bruce wilson it all would have been over you know it's like the grinch's heart growing exactly there you go it warms the heart <laughs> <laughs> so in a way that woman is the hero of the movie i guess i think so i think so i think so proud of her <laughs> we all make our own contributions in our own small way and we don't know what part we play in the larger lives of others necessarily mm. this got very philosophical very fast <laughs> uh and most people seem to be on board with the fact that die hard is a christmas movie or at least christy 
Christmas movie adjacent. Um, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Um, John's has already has some very strong thoughts about Die Hard. So let's start with John. What's your favorite holiday movie? I should say, not necessarily just Christmas. What's your favorite holiday movie, John? Uh, I guess I'd ha- still have to say Die Hard because it's the only one that my that I've made a priority of rewatching every particular holiday. My wife and I watch it every year. Um, in movies where one could go to the theaters, I have historically organized trips to the Arclight with you know my friends and to some clients to go to go see it. You know, um, so that and I go to, or I'll go to New Beverly and see it with yeah. That's that's the one I've made a point of seeing on a regular basis. Um, at a certain holiday interval. So yeah, for me, that's, that's diehard. I'm predictable, okay. I suppose. Um, all right, Matt Pitts, what is your favorite holiday movie? It kind of changes like every couple of years. Like right now I'm going through a family stone phase for the last couple of years, which I can't really justify other than the fact that it makes me feel cozy. Um, there's, no, there's nothing in the story that I'm dying to to see, but I just like, like the aesthetic but i mean if i'm doing like an overall uh it's gotta be it's a wonderful life uh mm-hmm. and it's funny because we watch it every year and every year i fight it because i know i'm committing three hours and every year at the end of it i cry and i know what's gonna happen i literally you know it's the strangest thing but it's one of those things i feel like because it's so long because it's three hours and you invest three hours that no matter what when you get to the last five minutes you're so emotionally invested that you're going to cry no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's probably on a lot of people's top lists, obviously, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, Chris Cook, what are your thoughts? Favorite holiday yeah, I movie? I don't have a theatrical one. For me, well, okay, A Christmas Story is, is probably the theatrical one, although I never saw it in the theater. But to me, Christmas movies are those... Um, those claymation TV specials that are on every year. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1960-something. I think it's Rank. Is it Rankin and Bass? Uh, with uh, it had the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer one, and then there's the You're a Mean one, the Grinch one. Uh, but that that and probably the uh, the Peanuts Christmas special too, with uh, with uh, you know, with the little with the crappy Christmas tree. Right, the one that was compared to Rockefeller Center's tree this year. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, Rob Edwards, favorite holiday movie? Yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same place. I, I it's like, what's your favorite Christmas song? Who's your favorite child? Um, <laughs> oh, we'll get to those. We'll get to those. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> I, I think it's like in the aggregate, there's this kind of like. With the TV specials, I'll start watching them kind of like an appetizer. And, uh, you know, and then you build to the big ones, you know, Miracle and, uh, you know, have, you know uh, 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 some of those that, that really get you balling. Uh, every single version of, uh, you know, Christmas Carol. Um, most versions of, well, yeah, Christmas Story, you know, Christmas Story is just in a class by itself. Uh, yeah, I think it's just like all of them. Because everybody's around, so it's just they just run, and uh, and so just the the sandwich that is Christmas movies is always just kind of fun to watch. It's very interesting to see the different schools of thought uh, between everybody here, all the creatives and 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 
people here who were working the business, how they determine what their favorite is, whether it's just a vibe, a feeling, a memory, or whether it's sort of an analytical sort of, you know, uh, system. I think that's, that's very interesting. Um, Ed McCarthy. Um, yeah, it has to be a Christmas story for me. Uh, I, I never saw it in a theater, but as a kid, it was always playing on, you know, the 24 hour marathon. 24 hours, but right. I, my wife watches I, that. Yeah. yeah. My parents did that. That was my babysitter for the day. Just plop me in front of the TV and I could watch it five, six, seven times in a row. No problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I just related to that little kid so much, you know, and you know, he, he I, I just saw me there like, you know, from trying to get good grades and to, to cursing in front of your parents and knowing that you're screwed. To, you know, I never drank Ovaltine, but after that movie, I'm like, I'm not. Like, like I'm not going to drink it. Like, <laughs> screw that little kid. I'm not going to do it. Right. Um, you know, I even wanted that stupid lamp. Um, the leg lamp? Yeah. Like, and this is before it was actually available. I remember asking my parents for it and they're like, you stupid? No. Right. Um, you know, so, so I mean, there was something so relatable about that. And, you know, even right. being like my bullies were my older brothers, you know, and he was bullied, you know. Oh. So I, there was, yeah, um, there was something you know, very relatable to me about that movie. Right. So and, you're not get, yeah. and you're not getting that lamp. It's a major award. I, I'm not getting, I mean, Grant, I mean, full disclosure, I grew up to realize I don't want that. I mean, as a gay man, I'm like, I don't want this lady lamp, um, mm-hmm. you know, anymore. So <laughs> I kind of, I kind of grew beyond that. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. So, I have, so even now I'll watch it, you know, probably once a year and I'll be like, oh, I'm eight again. You know, I, and that yeah. is, that's the sweet spot for Christmas. Yeah, that's nice. Um, Dan? Uh, I would say it's got to be the Richard Curtis classic, Love Actually. Um, it's not a great film, but it's just a weird tradition that my sister and I started years ago. And whenever we're together for the holidays, we'll watch it together. But I mean, I think the usual suspects of Home Alone, that was probably the first movie I remember seeing in theaters, not to say how young I am, but like, yeah, I think that one always like kind of sticks out for me. Um, yeah, Die Hard's up there too. So yeah, one of those three. Okay. Emma? Uh, for me, it's gotta be Elf. I think that oh. is just one of my favorite movies of all time. I It came out when I was eight. And so it just like hit me then and still, and it's, it's one of those movies, holiday or otherwise, where you like see it as a kid and you can enjoy it. And then you still enjoy it as an adult, which are just like my favorite kinds of movies. And um, uh, it's the type of movie that I love also because it like uses every part of its premise, like from like eating candy pasta to like thinking that the guy is an elf at his dad's work. Um, But then at its core, it's like a father son movie and trying to connect with a parent, which also always gets me. So I just think it's so so well done and i love it yeah no i love it too um uh matt brian uh i'm gonna cheat a little there are three technically one for each family member because we watch them every year uh with my dad we watch christmas vacation okay good one uh my mom we watched the original bishop's wife with uh carrie grant oh yeah love that movie i, I don't it, know that it's movie a, it's a little creepy now not creepy but there's some awkward moments because Cary Grant plays this angel and he's trying to you know help this bishop get this uh cathedral built and he kind of falls in love with the bishop's wife and it has this really like you feel a little weird now watching it but it's a classic uh was it a remake with- yeah Daniel Denzel Washington was in the remake oh okay Whitney Houston too I think was the Denzel played the something different though right 
No, it was still called Bishop's Wife. Oh. Um, and then the third, which is one of my favorites, is Scrooged. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm surprised I love that to have mentioned that. But anyway, wasn't the remake called Preacher's Wife? Pre- the the yeah, Denzel sure. one was Preacher's Wife, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I think you're right. Was it? Was it? Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. I, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're leaning into that part that you thought <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, it was a preacher's wife. I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, uh, okay, Aaron. Yeah, uh, so many great ones mentioned, guys. We're building a, a wonderful little list. I had a little list of my own, um, including Scrooge, Home Alone. Definitely Home Alone, yeah. Yeah, Home Alone. Definitely got to put Bad Santa on there. That was like, you know, just really pivotal comedy-wise for me when I saw that movie. Gremlins definitely up there. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, I think we're all talking around this, but the idea of like where you watched this, who you watched it with, what was going on in your life when you watched these movies, I think all kind of anchor those moments in your brain. And, And I think it's so wonderful that we live in a world now where if you want to watch any one of these movies, you can, you can pretty much find it. You know, that's mm-hmm. an power to have where we are in the world right now. So, right. I'm learning actually the flip side of that because, mm-hmm. you know, when you would see Rudolph once a year, it was special. And now my kids can watch all of these anytime they want. And none of these movies are special to them anymore. <laughs> right. See, I, I had a similar thing with the Christmas story because I remember when I was a kid, I would <laughs> search it out. But now that when they started doing the 24 hour marathon, I felt like something that was like uniquely mine is now everybody. It's, it's like when you see you two at the Palladium and now they're at the Coliseum and everybody knows about them. Uh, I, I, see, I liked, to, I liked it back when I thought I was in the know. You're acting like you're the indie music record clerk, but for like <laughs> Christmas story. It's cooler exactly. when it was underground. Exactly. <laughs> It's like it blows your. I saw them when you had to like, you know, search it out on TV Guide. It's not real anymore. It doesn't mean what it meant. I had to crawl through glass to get to the television set, and yeah, back when it was hard to watch it, you know. <laughs> um, we have a few individual. We're obviously there's a lot of. Uh, we're going to do a lot of talk about the holidays and in your favorite holiday stuff, but we also have a number of of writers who are joining us who are sort of and we've got a number of lit managers and uh, uh writers in the room so i want to put put the um a question to some of our our, our um, participants like matt bryan and we were just joined by uh gustavo rojas who's one of the uh scripts and stripes discord moderators from he's joining us all the way from caracas venezuela hopefully i pronounced that uh adequately um but Matt, you've got a couple, and actually uh, Clint is here too. I don't know if Clint's going to unmute, but if he does, um, we have a couple uh, lit managers here and writers here. If you have a question, I would love to to pick your brain for questions to see if we can get some answers that may be helpful to some of the listeners here. So it's not just us chatting uh, holiday stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that because we're going to do a lot of that. But Matt Bryan, I'm going to put you on the floor here. Um, You've got a whole panel here. You've got the opportunity to ask whatever you want. Um, you have a question. Thank you for not putting any pressure on me. That was very kind 100% of you. 100% on that was you. Great. This, that's part of it. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's better to ask questions, I think, that are universal for you know, any writer. 
looking for representation or anything like that. I know for me, I still struggle with this occasionally, mm-hmm. but like, what would you say is the best way in terms of a follow-up? Like say a manager, somebody's said, yes, I'll read this. I know for some writers, they get a little anxious. They're like, I don't want to seem like I'm bothering you or being too pushy. Like, what would you say is a good amount of time to check in? Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two to four. Two to four. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't heard in, haven't heard in four weeks, definitely check in. Mm-hmm. I think no earlier than two weeks. I had someone right. check in four days later. <laughs> um, uh, I had two days later recently. <laughs> two days? Two days. Got the script on a Saturday. Monday. Hey, what'd you think? It's like, not going to respond to this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as mean as Dan. I'll still respond. But yeah, it's a little like... It's just the the thing is, and I had to say this on another podcast I was on or quick Q&A or something. And it, you know, the query letter inevitably, the script from the query letter inevitably is the bottom of your pile. The top of your pile are the clients you already have. Um, and so you work your way down to, um, you know, the material, the pressing already pre-existing client material, then you work your way to. I try to read within two weeks. Um, sometimes uh, I forget to put something in my reading folder or what have you, or, uh, you know, I don't notice how long it's been, but I, I try to read within two weeks if I can't, you know, someone checks in, that's totally reasonable to me. Um, you know, if it's been more than two weeks, definitely. I think that's totally fair. I would personally recommend to people, if you haven't heard from someone in two weeks, you check in and then you check in like a month and you, I, I wouldn't check in more than once because they're kind of showing you their level of excitement about you. Um, you know, it's kind of like take the lesson right there. If you are trying to get them to be your manager and they have, and they, they take, you know, three months to read you or eight months to read you and have to check in three or four times, then that kind of tells you a little bit about uh, how they're operating. You know, um, that's my personal thing. Um, you know, sometimes I don't know, there's like a honeymoon period. I remember my friend Scott Carr, he, his writer who wrote Miss Sloan, he said he took like three months to read her. That's um, when it came in from a query letter. So I guess it worked out okay since he still repped him and that we got made. Um, but yeah, you know, so things can happen. But for me, I try to be respectful and, and return within a reasonable amount of time. Albeit, you know, sometimes it's over the holidays and like that's, you know, I have other things going on. Um, but I think it's good to check in once. I think, you know, otherwise it gets to be like that thing where you're dating someone. You're like, hey, I had a great date. And like, they're like, yeah, me too. And then like, it's like, you know, two weeks later, you're like, hey, just check it in. You know, like their actions will show you the, the, who they are as people. That's my personal feeling. I don't know if Dan and, and Chris feel differently. Yeah, yeah I know that Chris feel differently. Uh, Chris, go ahead. No, I was just saying that's true. It's. It, it's often um, it's often the case that I want to read it. It's just that a lot of client stuff, like like John was saying, comes in, and that's obviously got to be uh, go on on the top of the pile. So it's not so much um, that uh, it's not some it's it's definitely not personal. Um, it's not personal until I read it, right? Um, but it's um, yeah. In fact, I even I actually invite people to like I'll I'll write back and say. If you don't hear from me in two, three weeks, please feel free to nudge me because that actually helps me with my, um, you know, if something gets lost as far, you know, help, help me organize my life. So, so I'll invite people to, hey, you know, it's probably going to be two, three weeks. If you don't hear from me, please feel free to nudge me. And, and then, it, you know, 
it those and then at that point it at least gets to the the top of the pile still under the client stuff but the top of everything else and you know i can say oh i really should read that this weekend or whatever so yeah but i i agree you know um if 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 you have to check in and check in and check in it's the it's you know it might be the writing on the wall that they never it, the the query isn't that exciting, but they accepted it for some reason when they thought they had more time and so forth. But it's it's also just might be this person's buried with with clients, you know. Um, and, and I don't know. I I will say though with queries, it's not necessarily an indication of what it will be like should that person sign you. It's very different. Um, um, you know, it's it's once you know once you're a client, that's a whole different story, you know. Uh, if your if your actual manager is ma making you wait uh, three weeks or three months, that might be an issue too. <laughs> uh, Dan, yeah, um, just to kind of echo what was said so far, I, I think for me, there's like this hierarchy within submissions, right? Obviously, client material takes precedent, but you know, at the top of things coming to me that that are not on the client side, it's like if an agent sends me something, that's going to be probably the first thing I look at, followed by a producer or an executive, uh, recommendations from writer friends, recommendations from current clients, working itself all the way down to unsolicited queries. So, you know, I think like when you consider all aspects in which something may come in plus client stuff, there's going to always constantly be a huge stream of material to get through. So I, I think what Chris said, just in kind of terms of like, hey, you know, for whatever reason, this is a particularly busy period. I, I see you. I want to acknowledge that that I still need to read your script. But yeah, like if I don't get back to you within two weeks, check in with me just so that I get that nudge so that I can prioritize and figure out the best way to get through as much material as possible. So I do want to keep like a, a line of communication with folks, uh, especially if I'm not doing it on my side of things, uh, just to make sure that at least they get their fair shot, right? Like. Uh, I'm not going to be, be giving notes on every script that, that comes in or anything like that, but I do want to be able to say, hey, took a look, this was great, what else do you have? Or, hey, just wasn't for me. Uh, just to really be decent about the whole process. Um, just so can we I, can keep... Can I ahead. ask a question? Yeah, uh, no, this absolutely. Is, yeah, this is interesting for me. Uh, uh, um, and uh, I... I teach at Syracuse and so a lot of students will ask me how many pages do you guys uh, read is there a is there a uh, a minimum number of pages you guys will read before you you discard a script say 15 okay. I mean 15 for me if I've read the first 15 to 20 and I'm not excited about continuing on then I have to imagine that anyone who I showed it to would feel similarly um, and for me, you, you have a sense of the voice and of, of the narrative and if things haven't started cranking by that point or they haven't started moving forward. And I don't mean like the plot. I just mean like in terms of my level of intrigue and, and excitement, then for me, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the standard answer. Obviously, if I like something, I'm going to continue reading it all the way through. But within 15 to 20, I feel like I have a certain measure of the writer's voice um, and my level of interest in the script. Chris? You know what? I think John's answer is best, especially as, as far as for your students and so forth. The 15 to 20 is, is probably the best answer. Personally, for whatever reason, I, I, I find it even something 
really bad. I find it hard to put down until about maybe closer to 50 pages for me, but I, I think I'm, um, you know, in a feature that is, uh, uh, but I think um, I'm just a, I'm a masochist and uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that's why I haven't read your script because I'm, I'm uh, no, I'm like, really into a script I don't particularly like. <laughs> Uh, this is this is the worst piece of shit ever, but I've got to finish it. <laughs> I can't wait to see where it goes. I want to see what the, if, if there's a closing image or not. You know, yeah, no, um, but yeah, no. Look, it's it's you know the and by, by the way, I but I don't think that necessarily. I also you know you also I see a lot of people who are trying to put like a uh, there. I've I've noticed a trend where where people will. With that in mind, they'll put this big sort of action, cold open type of set piece in the front of it with, uh, I'd rather get right into the characters than into the plot, um, you know, but you, so in other words, I, I don't think you don't have to get somebody interested from a, um, oh my God, you know, nine Blackhawk helicopters just went down and the, it, it, that that's not that that opening excitement for me for me the opening excitement is just kind of the the voice and so forth um it, it also depends a lot on on what you're reading you know what i mean uh, what, what what sort of the because uh, you know i'm down for a slow burn or a little indie thing that you know at, at that point it feels kind of criminal to stop it you know so early um um yeah it's less about like jumping into the action it's more about like for me, the most important thing for me is dialogue. And am I, am I enjoying the dialogue? Is the dialogue interesting to me? Do these feel like, <clears throat> if not like real people, are these interesting people to read? You know, like you think of some of the great writers of dialogue and does Aaron Sorkin write the way people talk? Probably not necessarily, but it's really enjoyable to read and it's really <laughs> enjoyable to watch. And so that, you know, by the way, just to say, like, I like, um, I was watching Rick and Morty and they made fun of like the cold open and then the three days later thing. And I like felt really ashamed because I was developing a project that had that. I was like, oh no, I must take this out. <laughs> but then I started watching The Undoing a few days ago after everyone had already tried to spoil it for me on Twitter because I waited until like it was over to start watching it. And then he opens with an, with a, like a cold open of like the body find. And then it goes like three days later or whatever. And I'm like, man, even David E. Kelly is doing this, you know, like. What is he, he didn't need that necessarily. So it's, it's a very uh, strong habit. It's a hard thing to break because it is something that people really, really like, which is you open with like the most exciting thing and then you flashback like 48 hours earlier or something like mm -hmm. that. So, because, you know, it, it works. It does work. It's going to be cheap a little bit, as Rick and Morty pointed out, but it does work sometimes. But yeah, for, it's, it's more about the dialogue and the character. Just to clarify my answer to what Chris said, it's not like, oh man, has the explosion happened? You know, a lot of people do that, but then it doesn't mean anything. If it doesn't, I remember asking my old boss, Andrew Marlowe, when he's writing an action sequence, I'm like, how do you write such cool action sequences? He goes, it's not about writing the action sequences, it's about <laughs> writing, about having you care about the characters in the middle of the action sequences. And I think that is the mark of a great writer <clears throat> is that you care and are concerned for the, for the for the characters and i think that's true of first 15 pages i you know something like ladybird if i was to read that and it opens with her jumping out of the car because her mother she's so annoyed at her mother whatever i'm like that's just as interesting as 16 blackhawk helicopters or whatever mm. um, sorry like i'll let dan speaks i just wanted to clarify 
Yeah, I think for me, it's about being able to invest in the characters. Uh, that's just my personal preference in terms of what gets me to care about a story. Um, I think like by page five, I might have an expectation of the quality of the writing going forward. But if, if there's something that wants me to keep going, <clears throat> I will keep going. And sometimes I end up on like page 75 and it's a pass. And it's like, huh, like at least I fully exhausted it. I mean, I've, I think I've heard too many horror stories in terms of like, oh, I passed on this project. That, and that always like lingers in the back of my mind, right? Like there's a particular project that I passed on for a director when I was at writ large back in like 2015 or 2016. <clears throat> and it ended up being like an Academy Award winning movie. So, you know, that, that kind of, it stays with me. Not that I was right or wrong, but just that sometimes scripts can become more fully realized as they get into maybe act two or whatever. Um, so I think like, Give it at least the 10 to 15, um, but know that some scripts maybe take a little bit more to really find uh, what they're trying to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reason I'm kind of harsh on the 10 to, on the 15 to 20 is because I know the executives are. Because one thing, and I point this out, <laughs> is like executives get about a dozen scripts to read a weekend. That means they have about close to 50 a month. And for them, if it's a stack or and or a writing sample and they're not grabbing the first 15 to 20 they have more pressing that they have the other 11 scripts to get to so that's why i am a little rougher on the scripts maybe is because i know that it has to match up to the quality and rise up to the quality of everything else that they're reading uh, at that point so that that just to be clarified uh, you know some people might be like my scripts a slow burn and that's totally fine but <clears throat> so people have to be entertained because it's a very difficult market out there and I always say that the market is very um, cruel, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, because, you know, you won't get any feedback. The feedback that we get from people is, wasn't for me. That's about the level of it, you know? Mm -hmm. You don't get like, oh, the third act didn't work or whatever. You, you'll get the, uh, you know, not for me, but thank you so much, you know? And that's it. And you can't resubmit. You can't tweak the script and come back a second time. You can't do any of that. So if you're coming to, into the marketplace, it better be as good as possibly possibly can and it better grab people because they are very, they've got 11 other scripts to read that weekend, you know? Right. Uh, and we've just been joined by Doug Griffin, who is the former director of development at the story company, Tim stories company. Uh, now he's a, a script coach. Um, welcome, Doug. Hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you, sir? Excellent. Good to Excellent. see you. Um, so we, We've been asking people uh, what their favorite holiday movie is. So since you just jumped in, let's find out what your favorite holiday movie is. Not, we're, not that we're putting you on the spot or anything, even though the spotlight <laughs> is on you right now. Okay, it's Die Hard. Okay. <laughs> it's it's my favorite. Very good, an good answer. It's a Christmas movie, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's fantastic. Is there a better holiday movie than that? We had a number of, of different submissions or oh, different suggestions. John Zalzirini is in, in the Die Hard camp, uh, but there's also been a number of people for everything from A Christmas Story to uh, Chime In. I don't, I don't remember all the, the list of Home Alone. And did anyone mention, uh, uh, what are some of the other ones that people mentioned? Elf. 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 Elf, Elf that's true. Uh, a wonderful life it's you know a wonderful life and uh yeah i mean lots and and going back to the holiday uh conversation the holiday banter uh i want to ask everybody if you could remake any holiday movie 
which would you remake and who would you remake it with? And um, I'm going to start off with uh, Mr. John Zauzerny. If you could remake any holiday movie, what would you remake? Oh, man. I was hoping you would go to me last. Uh... <laughs> alphabetical <laughs> order. Alphabetical order. I mean, yeah, reverse. Uh, I mean, like, I, I, I have a kind of a rule of remakes, theoretically, hmm. which is, like, why remake something that's good? You know, that's why the Ocean's Eleven remake was great, because the Sinatra version is not very good. Um, you know what? I'm going to put this out there. I've been saying this for a long time. Uh, and it's not exactly a Christmas movie, but you know what? A Santa figures very prominently into the plot. So I'm just going to say it. There's a movie called The Silent Partner. It was written by, oh my gosh, the Wonder Boys director, um, Curtis Han- is written by Curtis Hansen. Mm-hmm. It stars, um, gosh, I'm blanking on who it stars, Elliot Gould and someone else who's awesome. And Elliot Gould is a bank teller at a small bank and he realizes that a bank robber who's dressed up as a mall Santa, like like ringing a bell for money, is going to rob the bank. And so the day of the robbery, because he knows in advance, which is really silly, but what are you going to do? Uh, he steals half the money from the from the bank safe, um, and then the bank gets robbed by the mall Santa. And then the bank robber eventually realizes that someone else stole half the money, but he's getting blamed for all the money, and it turns into like this cat and mouse thing. And I always thought I had a really great concept and first act and then the actual movie goes way off the rails um and so that movie takes place during the holidays it's pretty specious i'm not gonna make a strong argument for it being a holiday movie but it is a uh bad or mediocre movie with a spectacular first act and concept Mm -hmm. which to me is the best kind of movie to remake which is where the original had an interesting idea that was not pursued fully um so that would be my argument because why remake why remake something excellent you know why remake you know, that kind of stuff. I, I don't see a, a point in doing something that's been done very well previously. So that's my answer. See, that's why I came to you first, John. I knew you would have a great answer. It's an answer. <laughs> I don't know if it's a great one. I knew but... you would have a great answer. Very analytical and, and it was perfect. Um, Matt Pitts, I know you're going to have a great answer too. I don't know. Um, I'm trying my mind went to uh, what are the movies that no one else likes or talks about that mm-hmm. I actually like and liked in the eighties for whatever reason. Uh, and one of them, you know, it's, I'm trying, I'm like unpacking why I like this movie right now, but there's a movie called one magic Christmas with Mary Steenburgen. Um, that what I loved about it was it like showed like a, it, it really felt like a middle-class to poor family struggling through the holidays and overcoming that. And there was something like just <laughs> growing up in working class Boston that I just related to. I mean, you know, we weren't poor, but like there was like a lot of times when you watch these Christmas movies now on Netflix, they're all about the riches and the glam because they're doing the escapism. But what's like, you know, the, 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 the shameless, like the hard, you know, the, the, the middle to lower class version of a, a redemption story. Um, and a family overcoming the odds and stuff like that. So I would, I would love to do uh, a version of that. And also features, you know, something that I love, which is just the supernatural. So like an angel comes down and, and helps out. I think it's like Harry Dean Stanton is the, is the angel, if I'm remembering. Um, as, and who's in it? I mean, I'm from Boston, so Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are in everything that <laughs> I, I want to do. <laughs> nice. Uh, now, uh, that's great. Uh, um, em, Emma, what do you got? Something uh, great, right? <laughs> 
Not sure yet, but I think I, well, no, I'm not saying this is a good idea. Uh, it's just something that- There are no bad ideas, though. <laughs> okay, well, just wait a second for it. Um, <laughs> I would love to do like love actually, but we pick up like in real time, like where people are now, like the kids grown up. I just saw them in the Queen's Gambit. You know, and, they did uh, that, right? They did that about a year or two ago. They with did Red, with that cast? For Red Nose Day. Richard Curtis always does like for Red Nose Day, which is his holiday mm. charity in, in the UK. Oh. He did a sequel to Four Weddings and a Funeral. He did uh, Love Actually a couple of years ago. <clears throat> it was like a half hour, so you can find it on YouTube. Interesting. Well, I it's would like a, a good full. It's actually been done. Wow. Well, I would like a full 90 minutes plus of that. <laughs> and uh... your idea was so good, Emma, that they already did it. <laughs> God damn it. It's <laughs> happening. But my other pitch is uh, ghosts of girlfriend's past, but gender swap. So it's boyfriend's past. Wouldn't that be a Christmas Carol? Maybe. I feel like you have a lot of critiques of my ideas, John. Just, <laughs> let, me, let me live. I'm not looking for representation. Well, then I don't know. Then I got nothing to offer. Uh, uh, Rob Edwards. What do you got? What are you remaking? Uh, well, I'm cheating because I'm actually in production on a Christmas movie right now. So, um, and uh, one of my favorite, well, it, it's animation, so I can't really, you know, whatever, because who knows when it'll, it'll actually come out. But one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies was uh, Miracle on, on 34th Street. Hmm. Um, and, and so this idea of what if a black Santa had to prove that he was Santa Claus? Uh, and, uh, and that became, you know, that is what this, this, this movie becomes simply because I, I always think like they make me so happy and there's always this, you know, spirit of Christmas is the star of all these movies and they always end, you know, when, when, when the person at the end goes, Merry Christmas, everybody, you burst into tears for whatever mm -hmm. reason, you know, uh, and I wanted to take a, a, a crack at one of those and, and yeah, wind up working out. So. Um, yeah, so this is a this is a great topic for I, I, I absolutely love these 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 movies. So you're, there's always one the overachiever who's not only answering the question, but it's like you know what I'm actually going to do that. I'm actually going to remake <laughs> one of these movies. I'm so cheating. <laughs> you put everyone else to shame. Uh, uh, Chris Cook, remake you know, a movie. Yeah, I'm very much in the in the uh, John uh, John Z's answer there. Um, God, it would have, see, that's the thing. It would, it would, it's not going to be at the forefront of my mind if I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I actually, I want to see the movie that, uh, that John talked about, but I don't, I, I, yeah, that's tough because, um, uh, you pass? no, uh, I want the preach, I want the preacher's wife to be redone for the third and fourth time. <laughs> Good answer. How about that? That's perfect. Go, yeah. That's start, perfect. Which, is, which is another way of passing. Yeah. Right. Uh, Ed McCarthy. Um, yeah. Uh, well, two things. Uh, number one, Emma, your favorite movie was Elf. And I re remembered, I think Netflix now, they have the movies that made us. They and they do, just, yeah. The holiday movies that made us. And I believe one of the episodes is about the making of Elf. So I got to see that. that yeah. Um, I have not seen it, so I don't know if it's worth it, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. And um, regarding the holiday, I'm going to adopt John's philosophy of something that was not well done um, and try to make it. And for me, uh, that was Frosty the Snowman, because that creeped me out as a kid. <laughs> um, 
And I feel like Frosty was a personality that like my parents warned me about, like don't go into a car with this type of person. Um, so I would do like Frosty the snow person and make them like non-binary, they, them pronouns kind of stuff and voiced by Aquafina. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh my no, God. Cool. Green lit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have the stamp of approval here. Um, Dan. All right. So bear, bear with me. This one's a little weird. Um, Jingle all the way, but <laughs> set in present day, Chris Hemsworth as the lead. It's going to be a commentary on an over-reliance on technology. He thinks he can get the new PS5 for his kid uh, on, online, but he, he, he fucks up. He doesn't get it. So he actually has to wait online, in person, outside Best Buy uh, on Black Friday and it's like a contained thriller, like what happens in line. So you, it's a Sony movie. It's like cross uh, promotion with, with the PS5. It's, it's going to be a huge thing. I'm, uh, I'm working on it now. I love how you take all the angles from that, Dan. <laughs> you know, the business side, you can do cross promotion with PlayStation 5. It'll be great. I love that. Call up Vince uh, at PlayStation, Dan. He, he'll go for it. What's okay. that? I say call up Vince over at the Play. They have a company oh. that does PlayStation movies now, so... It's perfect. Rebranded. Um, Aaron? Yeah, I, I actually, uh, Jingle All the Way made me think there was like an article uh, last night about how uh, it was playing on TV and it got cut off like 10 minutes before it was finished and people were yeah. like writing in and stuff. But that was really funny given the, uh, the title of the movie. Uh, <laughs> you know, Jingle Almost All the Way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to go, I think I mentioned this movie before, but I'm going to go with Scrooged. Mm. Um, you know, I'm always, I'm always a guy who's thinking about like, what are interesting stories to me, but also what are interesting stories that I think people want to see right now. And I think that the themes that are explored in that film are, are really prevalent right now, right? Like you have this main character, Frank Cross, who's like just wanting to make money and get ratings. And he realizes that there's more to life than just making money. And I think that that's something that is, is prevalent in society today. And I think there's a, a modern version of that movie out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they're doing another Chris. Yeah, I mean, my friend and I, my my buddy and I, were were trying to reboot Christmas Carol once again, and but they they picked up three different versions of it now. They're doing a musical version at Netflix, and it never that's a movie that never ends being you know changed and rebooted and something. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the most popular Christmas story, I imagine. Uh, Matt Bryan, you're given a green light for a holiday movie. You whatever you want to make. What are you making? I was so bummed. Dan was on the same page I was. The only difference is instead of Chris Hemsworth, I was going to pick, since they've already proved they're a pretty good duo, would be The Rock and Kevin Hart. Oh, okay. To <laughs> place uh, Sinbad and Arnold, respectively. That'd be the only switch for me. Nice. I like it. Yeah. But Dan, your version's like hands on a hard body, right? Like the entire story takes place in line? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, I think I would enjoy more of like the dynamic of obviously The Rock's a big guy and just Kevin having to use his wit while The Rock tries to use his strength. Obviously kind of cliche, but they, you know, they use their own little abilities to try to get the toy, the PS5, whatever it may be for this new generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Griffin, what do you got? Okay, I'm going to first commit blasphemy. Oh. Say that I would remake It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> um. Not because anything's wrong with it. John gave the rule that you don't mess with the classic, and Mm -hmm. he's totally correct. However, there are the theme of 
you have no idea whose people whose life you've affected is interesting and could it be explored in, in a different way um so i would i would put um and 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 the and then then to have the ability to look at what your life well what life would have been like without you existing to be dropped in a world where you never existed has a lot of possibilities um so like I would think of a homeless guy or a guy who at the, you know, maybe in his forties or fifties, who's out of touch with his kids and he's on the street and he's ready to commit suicide. Who's had a different trajectory than James Stewart did. If that person who legitimately, uh, not because of a single crisis, but whose life has deteriorated, got the chance to look back at his life to see all the good he, you know, the people he influenced if he hadn't been there, then it might be interesting for that guy. Uh, who is that? Um, I don't know what actor. Uh, black actor, old. So you pick your choice. Um, he Then given the chance, that might actually rehabilitate, rehabilitate him, give him the, the thought like, oh, I can go on. I've now seen what life would have been like had I not been here. And I guess I did do some important things with my life. So maybe I'll turn my life around. So kind of just approaching it from a slightly different angle. Uh, like, and I think a lot of people need to know that you've got, so I don't know that that's a theme that could be exhausted, that you have no idea who you have helped just when you stopped and did this thing or that thing, you know? Uh, so that, I think that's a theme that could still be explored. Mm-hmm. Love that. Uh, and jumping back and forth between themes of holiday and something that may be super helpful to our listeners out there, I wanted to ask everybody, um, especially those that have had, new, we're all stuck at home and, and uh, being in the industry, have a ton of Zoom meetings, I'm sure. What is one tip or piece of advice you have for somebody who may be taking their first Zoom meeting with maybe uh, a rep, a potential rep, uh, an executive, uh, a showrunner, something like that. What is one piece of advice you would have for specifically for Zoom meetings that you could throw in there? I'm going to start with um, Emma. Do you have any advice oh, or God. tips for those Zoom meetings? I mean, it could be anything as simple as don't do it in your closet. You know what I mean? I mean, it could be very... Uh, yeah, Um Oh my God, I'm on the spot. I think just you have even more time than usual to be prepared and do mm-hmm. your homework before it. I think there's no reason to not come with your own questions. I think specific to early meetings with reps, um, I I just felt like so fortunate to be meeting with people as a writer on the side of that relationship who hadn't been repped before, which obviously it is very fortunate. You have to you know have a good script and do a lot to get those meetings. Um, but, you know, I'm now going through friends uh, who are older and wiser than I was when I was taking those meetings and have just been in the industry longer than I had been. And I think the preparation that they're doing in terms of like, you know, ultimately this person is, regardless of how the relationship feels at the start, like your reps work for you as a creative person and you need to be clear on like what you want, like, what your direction is. So definitely come in with questions of your own and, um, and just be engaging in the movie. Don't feel like you're just staring at a screen and it's talking to you. Like you need to engage past 
your computer screen um, in order to show who you are and, and stand out even virtually. Mm -hmm. uh, Rob Edwards, advice for those individuals taking Zoom meetings. Yeah, when I, well, see, yeah, I'm, uh, I'll piggyback on what Emma said. I'll just, mm -hmm. uh, um, also, like, things like, well, see, like Emma, she's got her storyboard in the background and whatever. You can tell, like, okay, yeah, she's, she's working. She's got projects going on. Uh, you know, she's bringing something uh, to the party. I just have this kind of empty dry erase board wine fridge you know whatever like all bad things to have in, a, in, in, in your uh, in your frame um a lot of times when i'm taking meetings or or when in, when i'm on the other side of it i'm on the other side of the table i'll find like i'm stunned at how little research people have done and and what low energy people bring hmm. um you know where if if i have to explain what i've done or anything like that you've lost that one uh, and if, if there are dead spaces, you've absolutely killed, you know, uh, 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 any chances. So yeah, bring a lot of questions, be involved. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's not, we're not coal miners or bricklayers, you know, this is the most fun job in the world. You know, uh, uh, you should, you should come in with some energy, uh, uh, uh for it, you know, you should you know, uh, desperately want to, whatever that gig is, um, uh, you should want it. You're going to be in the trenches for a long time. It's extremely hard to make a movie. Yeah. Um, and so if you can't bring uh, energy to a half hour or an hour Zoom, then I got no use for you. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, so I would just, I would just put that out there, you know, that you you're not only are you selling your material and and everything else you're selling you as a non-crazy person that's going to be in the trenches with somebody else for two three years you know mm -hmm. in animation sometimes five years um but you're you're gonna be on f maybe five zoom meetings five four hour zooms a week with somebody dude bring it or mm -hmm. or you know or, or you know don't don't cry when you when you don't get the gig mm -hmm. And we've just been joined by the illustrious Ian Shore, writer of Infinite, which is coming out shortly. I, have, I can't remember the exact date. We'll have to ask him again. It's supposed to be out in, when is it? John? John knows or Ian? May 28th. May 28th. Uh, May 28th. It was supposed to come out in August, but thanks to COVID. We shall see, though. It's a crazy world of, of film. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, Ian Shore, welcome. Uh, the question going around right now is Zoom meetings were all taking them. Do you have any advice for a Zoom meeting, a pitch meeting, a story meeting? What kind of advice do you have to make their Zoom meetings better? Move to oh, Hawaii. Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, move to Hawaii. Yeah, we're, are you still in Hawaii, Ian? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, because everything's so crazy right now, we um, we decided to stay here through um, through February, possibly March. Wow. Um, and uh, you live your backyard, Ian. The, the, the suffering that you have to do. Well, I, I'm I'm in a new place now. I just uh, I just moved into a rental property, so the the backyard isn't as awesome as the other place. But it's uh, let's see. Can we <laughs> here? Wow. I'll just show you. Wow. Oh nice. my. Yeah. So it's not. I'm not suffering. Uh, <laughs> but uh, okay. Let me let me think about this. Uh, so yeah, tips for Zoom. I mean, um, I would uh, <clears throat> I would say uh. 
you know, same as in any other meeting, uh, do your homework about the person you're talking to, uh, come in extra prepared and extra engaged because the truth is zoom is harder than, than being in person. Like, uh, it, you have to work overtime to, uh, to make sure that the conversation is engaging and that you guys are actually connecting because, you know, it, it's harder to do it through a screen. Hmm. Um, so it, it's, um, it's, it's a little bit like, uh, in, in, in a weird way, like think of it almost like, a uh, uh, being on a date where you want to, you know, not just make yourself interesting, but, you know, look for ways to find the interesting things about the person you're talking to. Um, just because it, it's so easy for those things to just flatline because of the technology, mm-hmm. uh, because of the, the, the technological disconnect. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Pitts, uh, meeting your, have a virtual meeting with a, a showrunner to get a job or even a story meeting. Um, what sort of advice would you have for those uh, TV writers out there? See, I have found Zoom meetings to be the greatest thing ever, um, <laughs> including pitching, because I'm just a nervous person. And when I get nervous with you know an executive or someone, like I forget things. And how many times have you left a meeting being like, oh, I wish I said this. So what I've been doing is like, I just write a script. And what's so good about you know the Zoom, the, I just put the script up right below the camera and I kind of just perform whether it's the pitch. Um, I took a pitch out this year um, and you know, you would never know that I'm reading it because I've read through it so many times, but I don't have to memorize it because it's kind of right there for Mm. me. You know, it's like having a teleprompter. So, so that was good. And then after my first pitch meeting, you know, I didn't expect to get as many questions about the project and so I was like, oh, shit, I better prepare. So I started thinking about every question that the exec was going to ask me. And I literally wrote the script for it and highlighted the question in bold. And lo and behold, every time from the next six pitch meetings, I always had my answer ready to go and I just performed it. And so that was really easy for me. I dread. And next time I, I sell something, having to physically go into a room with 10 people <laughs> <laughs> and actually do this because I love this so much. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm very curious, obviously writer's rooms will get back to normal as much as some people like the fact that writer's rooms are sort of virtual. I know mm-hmm. that, that a lot of people don't like the fact that they're virtual. So um, it'll be interesting to see how pitch meetings go and, and how many of them are still going to be online because this could be the wave of the future. But it's I was definitely- joking with someone recently. I was saying that like, you know, your importance depending on if you're a Zoom meeting or you're an in-person meeting. Mm. It's like in the, in the Lennon Grant book where they say that you can judge your importance based on the parking mm-hmm. structure that you are given instructions to. Uh, it'll now be like, are you Zoom meeting worthy? Are you in-person meeting worthy? There'll be a new ranking system uh, to the, and then it'll cause a lot of, I, I'm looking forward to the conversations a year, year and a half from now, where they're like, they just want to do a Zoom meeting with me. What does that mean? Hmm. Having to, you know, try to piece that together and make the client feel comfortable <laughs> that the executive doesn't actually want to meet them in person, even though they very easily could. Well, I think that'll, that's going to put Matt Pitts's uh, reps in a bind because they're going to want an in-person. He's going to be like, oh, let's do a Zoom. How about that instead? 
Kevin, uh, we, we actually talked about this a little bit last time I was on the show, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that the pandemic in a way has sort of forced this advancement of technology. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting to think about it that way, because just a year or two ago, if we wanted somebody to come in and, and join the conversation in a writer's room, we would have to have someone come in and who knew how to use the teleconferencing you know, little uh, phone pod that's in the middle of the, of the room and they would have to dial the person up and maybe we could hear them over voice or not and they were cutting out. And so, you know, now we're living in a world where we can run full rooms online. I, I really think that, um, you know, we've done an incredible job as, as a creative community uh, in adapting to this unique environment. Mm-hmm. Well, and since now you're on the spot, uh, Aaron, uh, advice for those writers out there who are taking a Zoom meeting? Yeah, so uh, I think Matt hit on it a little bit and, and, and also uh, Ian. You know, I think that it's important to kind of look at the duality of what the, of the, the technology versus the, the interpersonal, right? You want to be able to connect on a human level with somebody through the technology. You almost want to be able to like reach out through the screen and, and be able to, to connect with somebody. But you also, uh, you want to be able to kind of uh, utilize the, the abilities of the technology, right? Like, you know, the idea that we can, we can sort of all connect together here from all different places. I mean, Ian's in Hawaii, right? That's an incredible uh, ability. And, and I think it's something that is, it would be a mistake to ignore that ability and not to embrace that ability. But you also want to be able to say like, hey, I loved how in this movie you were able to sort of convey this emotion in me or you were able to sort of bring out, uh, you know, this theme to the forefront and and connect with somebody on that human level, even if you're doing it through a screen and through a computer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doug Griffin, advice. Gosh, you guys are brilliant. I'm just listening, (laughs) taking notes. Excellent. (laughs) I'm learning so much. Um, I, I... I guess you'd call it the pleasure. I had the pleasure, I guess, of sitting with executives while they were auditioning writers for various projects. Mm. Um, and so they already had the project in mind. This is a comedy or this is a uh, science fiction drama or, or, you know, and so three or four writers would be brought in. Um, and I was always surprised at their pick because I'm listening for who told the best story. Mm-hmm. And, but that's not always who got the gig. Uh, for example, we were selling a, uh, they were looking for someone to write a comedy and the people who were funniest in the room end up getting the project, even though their story was the weakest. I think psychologically, the executives thought they can write a comedy. Look how funny they were, how they entertained us. Uh, the science fiction project we were working on, the guy who looked more nerdy it's like acting cat it was interesting the guy who looked like he could write a science fiction uh, project and who used bigger words and kind of sold himself as that psychologically just the person you knew who watched the entire run of star trek the next generation right i or think psychologically, you perceived to have, you perceived to have seen the entire right run. right 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 and, and so the, psychologically i think there was a because re- i'm listening for who's telling the best story and they seem to go with the, the, the stereotype mm-hmm. of, of they thought how the writer should look who was going to be working on this project. So I don't know if that means 
dressing this is what i would tell an actor you know if you're if you're auditioning for a, a gypsy then look that way because people don't <laughs> have big imagination you're auditioning for a, i don't know if you can dress like a pirate but it's but but i just thought that was interesting i think there's something to as a writer giving the impression you're you are able to because they're wanting to know can you fulfill this assignment giving the impression that you can in how you speak in the things that you talk about and the things that you bring up Obviously, it's important to be engaging, to, to do the research, to know it. But there may be also an element of selling yourself as I'm the person you want to, to write this because I'm, I, 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 it's hard to explain, but it's just what I observed. They, mm-hmm. There are certain people who seem to fit a stereotype, and that's who got the job. I've right. always said to my clients that you're down to like the final three or five writers. You have to lend the executive your confidence that you can do it and you have to like imbue them with that confidence because they are not necessarily confident in their decision. And if you're really confident in it, then it doesn't mean you'll get the job, but you kind of have to do that. And I've seen it be very successful for writers who are have a performing background um, who will have more success in pitches than maybe people who have more credits than they do or something like that. So I think what Doug's saying makes a lot of sense. And I think it can be really hard for people on writing, you know, to hear like the best writer, quote unquote, didn't get the job or the best story. What I have heard, having had friends who work in studios, is in their head, the studio exec's job, mind, it is, well, I can work with the writer to get the best story, because I've heard other, you know, all the stories, but I can work, but who do I want to work with the best? And who do I feel most excited about working? And so there is an element of showtime, if you will, to pitching and getting on staffs and things like that, that is someone asked me my advice, my non-writing advice recently um, for writers. And the non-writing advice was do UCB, do some kind of performance thing that makes you more comfortable performing because for pitching and I think probably for staffing interviews, um, that is very helpful to be out of your shell, which sucks because, you know, you think with the Charlie Kaufman kind of idea of the writer's neurotic and all that kind of stuff. But in screenwriting, I think having an aspect of performance is very useful and having an aspect of confidence is extraordinarily useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just to, uh, to piggyback on that, um, part of what you're doing is you are showing yourself to the executive as someone that they can take into the people above them, take to their bosses and say like, okay, this is that, this is the person I, I, I have full confidence in this person. Like this is yeah. who will solve my problems. Our problems. Yeah, yeah exactly. Emma, did you want to add in? Yeah, I was just going to second the idea that taking improv is incredibly important and has really lent me a lot of confidence and just heightened ability, particularly on the kind of like open writing assignment circuit, because in those situations as well, like, first of all, it's helpful just to have a better kind of like presence and like performative quality to your pitching, but also inevitably you know, you start meeting with the lower level executives who are answering to someone above them. And like, oftentimes, like, they're going to develop the pitch with you before they take it to their bosses. And there are all these stages along the way, and executives are guessing what their bosses want, and things are going to change. And I think if you go into those assignments with a kind of like ideas are not precious mindset, which improv teaches you more than anything else, like there's always another idea, there is always a fix and and a turn, because part of what's helped me be successful in those environments is, you know, taking those notes in the room, obviously going, you don't want to just like pitch a quick fix because you want to, you know, put thought into it. But 
if you can just be kind of a chameleon in those situations and just be ready for whatever this lower level exec is going to tell you their boss just said five minutes ago, like it will just, it's really useful in those situations. So I recommend improv to literally everyone. Mm -hmm. That is so perfectly put. I've never thought of it. That is especially the aspect that when you're dealing with a junior executive, they can be like, look, the third act has to be this. And then like two days later, they're like, talk to my boss. No yeah. idea on the third act because they, that's the real, the really tricky thing is the junior executive will tell you this is the mandate. And then two days later, their boss will see a different movie or something will open theatrically or whatever. And they'll be like, new mandate, new, this is the new 1, mandate. thousand percent. It is, yeah. it is so hard for writers early on in their career to understand because they're being whiplash because there's this idea that there is one, that the best story wins out but it doesn't necessarily what wins out is what the boss think the best story is or the most commercial story. Yeah. And in those situations, like you are unlike writing your own specs where, I mean, of course you'll be getting notes from your representation and ultimately taking it out, but like that's your baby and you're calling the shots on that. And it's very different to go into those open writing assignments and you just, you have to like let go of a lot of control, I think, and a lot of preciousness with your ideas um, but it's good. It's a good exercise because ultimately the ability to do that will help you once you get the gig and help you continue to service the executives who have hired you. So, yeah. yeah. I think of, there's a great Chris McQuarrie quote that I, that I, I put up on Twitter a little while ago and was about he had looked at the, as the executives of people who can serve his ends. And he realized that he had more success later in his career as realizing that the executives needed to view him as someone who could serve their ends that they had a bunch of problems. They had a slate of movies they needed to make and they needed someone who could solve their problems and help push their agenda forward, essentially. And he's like, look, I'm not more fulfilled, but I'm more successful, you know? And I'm hoping that the power and success I get from doing this will lend me more ability to get the things done that I want. But I I think I look at people like Simon Kimberg and Chris McQuarrie and a lot of the writers who who have risen to success, they keep a goldsman, risen to success both as writers and as producers. And it's because they have the ability to step in and synthesize all the notes that the actor, that the director, that the studio, that the producer have and be like, look, here is the compromise of everybody and listen to everyone and make everyone feel heard. Um, and that is that can change on a day to day basis. So you kind of have to roll with it. But if you can do that very well um, and still deliver high quality work while serving multiple agendas and not getting rattled by it, by not taking it personally, which is really, really, really hard then um that 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 then you become massively successful like those people have i think that's a huge element that is normally um not spoken about often because it's a little bit unpleasant or like it requires subverting your ego um but it's really huge in in the business Mm -hmm. and 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 to piggyback on on what john just said i mean it's some of the most successful meetings I've had, and this goes to the previous question too, is I'll just start off the meeting and I'll say like, how can I save your life today? You know, <laughs> it's like, what do you have, what do you have on the shelf that's broken your heart? You know, that, that, that script that's, that's just, it fell apart in development and whatever. And I'm a structure guy, so I can, you know, I'm a, you know, I, I love fixing stuff anyway. And the, the, the second part of it, uh, um, you know, to, to what Emma was saying is, Remember that you're kind of, you're the off-Broadway show and they're going to take it on the road, you know? So you're giving an executive a script 
that they're going to take to their boss and an audition. So you're going to bring energy to it. Hopefully, you know, you should have like a lot of really pithy things to say, a lot of really sticky, catchy things uh, as you're going, as you're describing your characters, as you're describing the moments, you know. Um, I think that's where that whole like, it's diehard meets, you know, that's so and so, you know, um, uh, because it's easy to remember. Because uh, what they're doing as they're jotting stuff down, they're like, they've got to go to a, go into a meet, meeting with eight of them and a big guy at a chair and not embarrass themselves. You know, and, and, and so that's what you're that's what you're giving them. The more you keep that in mind, the better I think the more successful you'll be uh, in the process. Mm-hmm. And speaking about the tips you just gave, um, Chris Cook, what sort of advice do you have for your clients like when they go into a big meeting some of, taking into account some of a lot of the things we've been talking about well it's, it's funny we, we as we were talking on that all, all great answers on that last one it kind of moved away from the zoom thing into like just the general mm-hmm. uh, you know pitching things but um yeah you know i think the the thing that really rang true to me is about being able to be flexible and being able to pivot. Um, you know, also when you, when you go into a meeting, um, you have to have, I think, um, especially if it's a pitch, you're, you're basically, you know, you're, you're basically the sort of the underlying idea is I have this incredible story to tell and you've got to hear it, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing of, and, you know, um, Zoom is kind of a, a glorified phone call, and I agree. It's kind of, it, it, you know, it's kind of hard to. I, I love, you know, the, the idea of of not leaving the house and not spending four hours in traffic driving to Hulu um, for a meeting that that may not, you know, something may never come of that. It, you know, it has its advantages, but it's also a little bit flat. Um, so, it, you know, piggy tail, uh, 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 piggybacking on the 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 idea of having this, I have this incredible story and, and you're going to love this and you're going to want it, it, a little bit of that, that confidence, you know, like Ian was saying, it's almost like um, you have to, especially if you're pitching an original where, where they don't know what you're talking, you know, from the get go, they may have a log line, but not, not much else is you do have to bring that energy to it. Um, you know, I always talk about it in the room, um, you want to be leaning, you know, whether you notice or not, you're sort of leaning, leaning forward and leaning into it. And, um, the, the zoom thing is funny because I think you have to go a little bit bigger with that to, 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 I mean, at the same time, you don't want to be Mr. Game show host and, and come off as, as really fake and strange. I mean, pitching itself is a little bit weird like that. Um, but, um, you know, obviously the, 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 the benefits of Zoom, like Matt was talking about, is you can have your, you don't have to pull out the emergency paper. You can have it right here. I would also, you know, um, practice, practice your pitch on Zoom. You, you know, don't just practice your pitch as you might, um, as you might, um, you know, use the same medium for your practicing and obviously have better lighting than I do and don't show your popcorn ceiling like I am. Um, but, um, 
you know, it, it is what it is. It's a, it's a great tool, but it, it's still ultimately at the end of the day, it's, you're all, you're going back to the same things that you would have for any meeting, just sort of in the, in the, the new medium. But mm -hmm. so, yeah, some things you have to step up, some things you have to uh, step back with, and, and then you just have to be able to pivot too, you mm -hmm. know? Kevin, can I say something too? About yeah, Zoom? please. I mean, it's literally you can cheat with Zoom, with Zoom that you can't with an in-person meeting. I mean, um, I mean, I'm a writer's assistant, so I've like in support staff. For, um, you know, it's more my Zoom have been either in the room or more like job interviews, or it's not with pitching stories or like trying to get a rep or anything like that. But I mean, we've all had in-person meetings where you do your research, you go into it, and say I'm gonna have five points I need to get across. And then you leave the meeting going, crap, I got one point across, the other four left. I mean, here, going into it, you do your research, and you know those five points. And use advantage of the space that people don't see. So I make those points, write each on a post-it or something, and put it on the mm. side. So it's literally right in my face, but not in your face. So during a natural flow, you can actually see the points you want to make. So, and if I, tr if I am able to get one in, then I discreetly take that card down. Um, you know, so it's not in my, you know, vision. Uh, so I, I've actually been able to use it to cheat a little bit more and try to get across some points that in a regular face-to-face -face, um, I may have forgotten um, just because, you know, you're in the moment as opposed to looking at the space around you that you all aren't seeing. So I feel like the overarching theme is that you can prep a lot more and easily than you maybe necessarily could for an in-person meeting. Um, and I think what Matt Pitt said was so great with the having a script. I had a situation recently where a writer pitched on uh, a rewrite um, and they thought it was going to be a Zoom. And at the last minute, like, I don't know, 10 minutes before, whatever, they're like, oh, it's going to be an audio only Zoom. And so what happened was it was audio only. And then everyone was like, great, great, let's hear it. And then they muted themselves. And then the writer had to pitch uh, the rewrite. And like, usually when, you know, you're pitching, you'll be like, and so then this thing, I kind of think, and there was like, oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, go on. Oh, and you have some reactions, but when everyone muted themselves, it's just speaking into deadness. <laughs> and the client was like, I was really glad that I had written uh, out a script because it gave me, I could just keep moving, you know? And you're not waiting for the like, oh, the reaction, the way that you would in person, you could feed off of. And if they're like, they're like, that's really interesting. You could lean in a little bit more, maybe improv a little bit on that thing. Um, oftentimes, worst case scenario, like this scenario, where people are like, okay, cool, we're ready to listen. And they're like driving their car or something. They're just like, click mute. And they just, they're like, give, you know? And so there's no, you know, you just have to go with it. And like the improv background can be really helpful for when people are asking questions, which is, I think, a more preferable scenario. But when you, there is a worst case scenario where you get no reactions and you just have to roll with the script essentially. And now you can at least read the script, you know? I mean, I guess in person there's no, they can't mute themselves as a human being. Um, but, you know, so that is a good thing. This is a small but technical note. I um, mean, this obviously just base, is more based on like if people, where, where they're at in terms of what they can afford and things like that. But I have noticed a few times people doing Zooms from their phones and it's always, that can be a little awkward just because they're like Zooming and they're moving it around like that and they're trying to find a good position. That sometimes can be a little awkward, I think, for Zooms where, you know, the rest of us are kind of sitting in a very static position and then someone else is kind of moving around the room and doing other things and holding it like that. And, 
you know, and it's, you know, again, some people that is the technology that they're able to afford. So I'm loath to kind of make it like, hey, you must have a static kind of scenario. But I think it is something where if you're doing Zooms on a regular basis, if you can figure out a cost effective way, or even to put your phone in one place and like position yourself, that is great. Because otherwise, if you're kind of walking around and everyone can see everything that's going on in your house, and it's a little, dis- if you seem a little distracted or taking it maybe less seriously, then other people will feel that about the Zoom. So that's more of a technical thing, but I have seen that happen in Zooms that I've done and also Zooms that I've had my client, that my clients have done where they've done them from their phone and it's like a little awkward because, you know, it's kind of like getting dressed up. None of us are really dressed up as much, uh, you know, we're all maybe in holiday gear or whatever. <coughs> if you're on a, it's like, if you're on a Zoom and everyone else has a very static drop and I'm at my desk or whatever, and then there's someone walking around who's like, I'm at Target and here I am. It's like, it's just, <laughs> that's like the only difference nowadays is like people, I was on a, you know, a, um, I did a Columbia University like Q&A uh, on Monday and I had to get up like early for me because it was in the East Coast. And then most people were just like in their bedroom or their office or whatever. And then someone was like on the subway. And like do, doing the thing from this, I'm like, what is going on that you're, you're taking your Columbia University class, I'm sure you pay a lot of money for, but you're doing it from the subway. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and that didn't really matter. It was in a professional setting, but it is something to be aware of that people, um, I don't know if they'll necessarily judge you from your background. Like I'm in a, it looks like I'm in a prison cell currently. But I think if you are walking around and you're moving and it doesn't seem like the Zoom is in itself a priority to you, um, that you don't want to give up that perception by kind of treating it with less seriousness. I just want to say, I, I think uh, delivering a pitch through Zoom when you're at Target is a massive flex. Like, <laughs> That's a power move for sure. I, I'm 100% hiring anybody that can do that successfully. Do uh, uh, you mind if I ask a, a question to some of the yeah. other people? Yeah, Rob, I wonder, if, I wonder if anybody else does this, because I will usually... I prepare like um, an eight, a twelve, and a and a and an eighteen uh, minute pitch uh, when I pitch. Because sometimes you go in and you're like, you've just got glazed over eyes, and it's like this is this is a waste of everybody's time. They're taking them, they're taking the meeting because somebody said to take the meeting. Um, and then other times it's like, oh, these guys are these guys are rock and rolling with me. This is a this is a, you know, we're, we're making lifelong friends here. I'm going to take this, you know, I'm going to take this the distance and, you know, get, get the Q and a ready. Um, but I wonder that, you know, that does anybody else prepare more than one pitch version of the pitch? And also like, how long does everybody pitch? Uh, why don't we start with uh, Matt Pitt since you were talking about pitching earlier? Uh, yeah. So uh, I just sold a pitch and it started off by Warner brothers giving me a book and so I did the eight minute pitch first, which was just to the two executives. And I was like, this is just my take. This is my way in. This is what I think I would do. Do you dig it? Uh, with no uh, prompts or anything, like literally just a Zoom like this. And once I got the go ahead on that, uh, and I did it with the, the production company as well, then I started to put like the real pitch together, um, which ultimately ended up being 10 to 12 pages um, after like seven rounds of notes from Warner Brothers. Um, and then when pitching it, it was 22 minutes, uh, which they said was fine. But I think the real, uh, uh, the reason it sold was because uh, we had a great deck. We had 36 pictures that we were constantly clicking at. So they weren't looking at my face. 
And when we were going through the character section, I, I, the characters that I had was like Zendaya and Tom Holland. And if you go online, you can find pictures of Zendaya and Tom Holland together, sometimes in, the in like a position where it just meshes with your pitch and in, in your story. So we had this like visual storytelling that we did along the way. Again, it was like 36 pictures over 22 minutes. I, I think that was what really, really helped the executives uh, see it and want to do it. Um, Ian, what about you? How do you? Uh... Oh, that's a great example of like how Zoom is different because in, <laughs> if Matt was going around pitching various studios, I'm pretty sure you couldn't be like, okay, now look at these slides as I talk. Here is a photo of, of Zendaya. Here's another photo of Zendaya. You know, that, 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 that you couldn't do the show and tell necessarily as much. I mean, like, uh, I've definitely done pitches where, you know, we brought character cards with us, like, you know, where we had, like, like when we were pitching uh, Kick, we had six main characters that we had actual physical photos of that I would sort of slide across the table while introducing the people in the pitch. Uh, but that's, you know, there's a difference between six pictures and 36 pictures. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if, like, my, my brain could handle that, that level of juggling, but... Um, I, I typically, um, I'll, I'll have sort of two, I'll, I'll have like two or three documents that I use. I, I'll have like a one pager that I can deliver in a, you know, a, like a couple of minutes. Uh, and that's usually just like me talking to the first executive. Um, you know, like, like Matt was saying, just like talking about the broad view of my way in. And then, you know, once they're on board with that, I, I'll expand that document, you know, five, 10, five, 10, 15 pages, um, getting everybody's notes incorporated. And then I'll do a, a very streamlined version where I'll condense that 15 page document into a five pager that I can deliver in 15, 16 minutes. Um, so like, like, uh, you know, the, the team that I'm working with has seen that, you know, there's 15 pages worth of material with all their notes implemented. And then they, they see that, you know, when I go in the room that I'm, I'm just telling the, uh, the, the most streamlined possible version of the story. Um, I, 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 I found that like with the, the, uh, average executives attention span, Sometimes you're lucky if you get 15 minutes out of them, but that, that seems to be about the sweet spot. Uh, and there's a Can number. A, Go ahead. Can I ask a question? I was going to say, I wonder, maybe Matt knows this. Are these executives, are they recording your Zoom meetings and, sh and, and then showing Zoom meetings to the boss? Is that the new sort of, you know how you don't, you know, sometimes a junior exec will say, can you leave behind some paperwork, you know, leave behind your pitch or your outline or whatever, and then they're going to go in and pitch it to your bo their boss, which you generally don't want because you should be pitching your own story. I wonder if uh, it was that ever discussed when you were pitching like, Oh, we're going to, you know, Matt, we're going to record this. Is that cool? That type it was of thing. never, it was never discussed. I don't know if anyone ever recorded it, but it did throw me, I was raised, raised to, to again, never hand over your pitch, your written pitch. Um, you know, because you're performing it, but uh, in this, you know, environment, they need to see your pitch. They're like, no one can fully process what you're pitching. They need to physically see it. So I kind of had no choice but to hand it over so that every yeah. exec did have my, my pitch that again, 
I was just performing it and reading it off. And so it's exactly everything I said. I just had a little, I had a little special sauce to it, you know, while I was doing it. I think imagining the boss watching a recorded Zoom is imagining a level of involvement and investment that a boss typically does not have. Mm. Yeah. Right. But versus doing the whole pitch, hearing the whole pitch again, you know what I mean? True. Mm-hmm. It, it, in other words, I would just be worried that that initial casual meeting with the lower exec might then be shown to the boss. Like, here is this. Yeah, but you're you're probably I mean, I right. If, would, if Matt's taking out, if you're taking out a pitch, it's generally going into the buyers, right? You're not, and if you're at a buyer, you don't do two meetings; you do one because you do right. Well, Matt Matt was pitching on a on a property, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that was exactly it. That was I was pitching to buyers, so even if they were recording it, that would have been fine with me. Yeah, and. I don't know in terms of Aaron, Emma, Ed, Doug, in terms of pitching, um, like in t- going back to Rob's question, if you, any of you have experience or specifics about that, you know, about your experiences with that, that you want to share, thought I'd throw that out there as well. I mean, usually there is like an initial call, but mm-hmm. I would just recommend making sure that it is an initial call. Back when I was with reps who weren't as on top of it, they would be like, this is just a call to discuss. And then I had one situation where the execs were like, "Like this was the pitch. Right. <laughs> and so I think just be really clear on that. Even now, because of that experience, I'm always to my manager. I'm just like, so it's just a call, right? Like confirm again. Let me see the email where they agreed to mm-hmm. it because I just never want to do that. Um, I always like to be overprepared, so I'll bring in just more than is necessary. But in that initial call, I really want to communicate, first of all, my personal connection to the project, um, aka my way in, um, how I see the characters, and then a rough overall structure highlighting like act breaks and the midpoint. Um, And so then I really, just because I feel like every process and like, trip up the ladder is different. I'll just be very uh, open to the execs, the lower level execs recommendations for their bosses. So like, for example, I was just pitching on this project where the exec was like 10 minutes at most and like as much visual elements as possible because even though you're just the writer, like he thinks from a director mindset and so we just need to like grab in visually. Um, on On one project I was told like, 30 to 40 minutes, like, lit- like talk that long. And so I prepared that. Um, so I think like, again, being flexible is important, but I found that if just left to my own devices, my like pitch scripts these days usually run about six pages and that translates to like 17 minutes, which has been effective. By the way, what Emma spoke about happens often and it happens even when the reps check and say, this is mm. just a, preliminary call right and they're like yeah yeah totally and then they'll be like they don't get to hear back from the client so i know they said it's preliminary call but they kind of treated it actually like so what you got for us so like it's just being better prepared is always the ideal thing because they will tell your reps no this is a preliminary call they don't need to have anything prepared and i just have seen it happen i've had it happen to me and it is a real bummer because then the client has to improv on the spot and they feel like they're in an awkward position. So if you be prepared, at least with a thumbnail sketch of what you would do and what your involvement would be uh, or what your iteration would be, because even if they tell your rep straight up, this is a preliminary call, they don't need to prepare anything. 
they'll because what will happen is they'll talk and then they'll talk and they're like so great 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 and they'll be like i mean like if you have anything we'd love to hear it we'd love to hear it. i mean you don't have to it's totally fine but if you have anything we'd love to hear it and then the writer feels like well we're on this zoom i guess i feel like i need to do something um so yeah that that is a, that's a really good point that is often brought up is that even a preliminary call can be a pitch call yeah and sometimes you don't even find out until the zoom you know all of a sudden the Zoom starts to populate and you've got 10 people on the Zoom and you think that you're just, you know, it's a, it's a general, but, um, you know, but they want to hear your, your take on, you know, whatever the thing is. And the closer it is to a full pitch, the better, the better off you are. Uh, and we've just been joined by Amy Thurlow, uh, writer's assistant, script coordinator, showrunner's assistant, WPA, on shows such as Gossip Grill, Krypton, Sleepy Hollow. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for joining. Hi, thanks for having me. Sorry I was late. <laughs> I have plumbing issues, I heard. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> question for you, uh, favorite holiday movie, which is something that everyone asked, was asked already and answered. My favorite holiday movie is easily The Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, okay. No one said that yet, so that's a good choice. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Such a classic, my favorite. <laughs> and, and then Zoom tips, like everyone's taking Zoom meetings now. We're trying to get a tip from everybody on, on, on Zoom meetings. What, what, what's one piece of advice you have for the, anyone taking a Zoom meeting? Um, so I have two. One, always check your like preferences and settings before the meeting, because I can't tell you how many times I've had issues where the settings that were there suddenly reset. But the other big one is I bought a microphone. Oh, wow. Separate, mm-hmm. um, because before I was having issues where like there was a lot of feedback um, from the other audio and stuff. And so now that I have that, it's like, it's so important that you're heard and it's such a, <laughs> it's, it's really hard over Zoom. And like, I feel like everyone, even with a microphone and everything, it's like still some things get lost through shitty internet and everything. So that's my big like tip. <laughs> um, and I just got a note uh, that Ian still has to answer his favorite holiday movie too. Um, that's a, I look at this. Um, weirdly enough, like the, 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 the one that I keep coming back to uh, every, every holiday season for the past few years is a movie that nobody saw when it first came out, but it's, it seems to have developed like a tiny little cult of like me and maybe two other guys. I, uh, I really love uh, The Ice Harvest with, hmm. uh, with John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton. It's, it's, uh, it, it's maybe the last movie that Harold Ramis did before he died. And it's kind of a just brutal, nasty, really funny black comedy uh, set around the holidays um, that is kind of like a really nihilistic inverse version of Groundhog Day where you've, you've got a uh, John Cusack uh, as this mob lawyer who's stolen a bunch of money from his client and all he has to do is just get out of town but this uh, ice storm hits his town and more and more ways of him escaping get closed off so it's just him in this sort of loop trying to like escape this little hellhole Kansas town that he's in mm-hmm. and him having to make increasingly desperate decisions to get out of it. 
it, it's a uh, you know it's, it's this great little you know film noir and because the the holidays tend to be sort of an emotional roller coaster for me um I, I i like something that uh doesn't uh that doesn't expect me to be cheerful that kind of that time of year mm-hmm. uh I, I i like that there's you know this this movie that uh essentially has a moral that uh <laughs> it you can uh you know <laughs> that you can make certain bad decisions and not end up with coal in your stocking. Right. Uh, it's uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things like, yeah, there's, it's, it's not like a, a, a super popular one, but it's, it's one that I, I definitely enjoy. And you're in Hawaii now, Ian. And so I yeah. wanted to ask everybody, this being the holiday season, what, obviously this is a year unlike any of us have ever had, what is, how are you going to celebrate this year and where are you, how is it different than normal? Obviously you're in Hawaii, so I'm going to put it to you first and then I'll go through the panel. How is, how is celebrating the holidays different this year for you? Well, and what are you uh, going to do? <laughs> we're kind of just figuring that out right now because we, we decided about 48 hours ago that we were going to stay here through spring. Uh, so, um, you know, it'll be the first, uh, it'll be the first time that, that, you know, it's just been me and my wife and, and our baby. Uh, you know, we, we usually go see family or have family come see us. Uh, now we're, you know, on the Island in the middle of the ocean, just kind of figuring it out. Um, so, uh, I, I'm feeling just, you know, just on a slumming it in paradise, huh? <laughs> yeah. On, on just like a visual and social level, it's going to feel very unlike any other Christmas we've, we've ever had. Um, but you know, it, a lot of things this year have felt like that. That's you know, I, I never had a Halloween like the one I had this year, and I never had a Thanksgiving like the one I had this year. You know, it's twenty twenty is the year that, year first. first time in fourteen years, no Burning Man. Oh yeah, yeah, mm. no, yeah. <laughs> first time in eighteen years. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so like like it's uh, it's going to be different, but no different than any of the, the other holidays were. Mm-hmm. John. Um, I'm lucky in that my wife's family is here in LA. Um, and then also my brother and my sister-in-law and my nephew live here in LA. So, you know, I would usually go home to Vancouver, Canada, which is where I'm from. Um, you know, or, you know, kind of one year on one year off. Um, so it's not extraordinarily different in that I'll still get to be with my, my, um, wife's family and with my brother and, and, and his family. So, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's like, you're not going to be doing the holiday travel. You're not going to be doing all the craziness that you normally would do. Um, so, the, you know, it's unfortunate. My, you know, my mom is up in Vancouver and none of us are in Vancouver, unfortunately. Um, and so that's, you know, really, really difficult because my brother's, one of my brothers is in England and, and my other brother and I are in LA and, you know, Canada, you know, we, it's hard for us to go to Canada because, you know, they're not letting anyone else in. So it's, it, you know, that is obviously sad and, and, you know, where everyone's talking, we want to make it up for next year, but it's better to be careful um, just because she has, you know, she's in a high risk category. Um, and so we want her to be as careful as possible and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, my wife pointed out that my, my, both my nephew, my, my nephew in England, we're not going to see him until gosh knows when. And my, and so, you know, it's, it's just one of the things where you don't see family, you don't see them kind of grow up and, 
that's a little sadder, but you know, I think we make the best of what you can given the circumstances that we're in. Mm -hmm. Aaron, how are you spending the holidays? Yeah, I'm also lucky, uh, similarly to John, you know, my, my, uh, family is all here, my parents and my sister and, um, and so, uh, you know, we're just kind of trying to be responsible within the, the different changing circumstances that, you know, the, the mayor and the governor are, are giving us and uh, trying to respectfully and safely spend time together. Um, you know, what's interesting about what I was saying before with technology is that in a way, the, the prevalence of Zoom and other teleconferencing equipment um, has fostered this um, emergence of like, I, I'm dare I say like a technological family reunion. Uh, and so what we're doing a lot with people who live all over the country and even different parts of the world is we're all like bringing them together on Zoom. And we're even doing that now regularly where we probably normally wouldn't have an excuse to do that. So I'm actually seeing uh, parts of my family more than maybe I did before this all happened, which is a really interesting and, and I think joyous uh, experience from all of this. If, if, there, if there's anything to be gained from that. Uh, what was interesting, though, was that I work in a virtual room and it's a comedy room. So we're constantly pitching material and getting used to doing that online more and more every day. And when we did the first family reunion, I found myself pitching jokes to my family, which was a little awkward. Uh, and I got a couple laughs, but mostly blank stares from my three and four year old, uh, you know, daughter's cousins. But um, but, you know, it's uh, it's a really interesting time. You know, we're we're maybe going to go to one of these if we're able to. Again, I'm not really sure what's going to happen with all the restrictions. But there's a lot of these drive through like holiday experiences, uh, especially in L.A. We did one for Halloween that was really fun and my daughter really enjoyed it. So I think we're going to do one for Christmas and, uh, you know, just taking lots of walks if we're able to and spending that that really close time together is uh, is is one of the things that we all can control through all of this. Mm hmm. Um, Amy, how are you spending the holidays this year? And how is it different than normal um, years? It's going to be different because I'm going to be quarantining. Today is actually my last day before I start to quarantine. Um, so I'm going to start quarantining tomorrow. Um, and then I'll go, I'll drive directly from here up to my parents' house in the Bay Area. Um, with like no stopping, which is mm. also like a hard thing. I've done it a couple times since um, the like since this whole thing began, and it's a little unpleasant, but it works. Um, and then we'll be doing Christmas outside in my brother's backyard, and we already got like giant coats, basically. <laughs> so we'll be masked outside um, for the first time ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're trying to do it safely, but still do something. I think at Home Depot, fairly cheap, you can get those giant five-gallon propane tanks. And they sell propane heaters, really small ones, but they put out a lot of heat for, I don't know, 20 bucks. So I don't know, something to consider <laughs> if those jackets aren't enough. But uh, um, Chris Cook, how about you? How are you uh, spending the holidays this year and how is it different than in past years? Yeah, kind of a combination of every, everything we heard. I'm I'm local. All my family is here, so it's nice that I I never have to go in an, air, an airport for the holidays. Um, but we're going to be masked and outside in one of our backyards, and it's uh, it's very strange. Uh, mm -hmm. But you know, look the the idea is uh, uh, 
I'm willing to, I'm willing to, uh, I'm willing to sacrifice a, a normal, a normal holiday season so that this isn't my last holiday season. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it's all about, we're being super, super smart and, uh, we'll, we'll make up for whatever's missed in some other way. Right. Uh, Matt Pitts, how are you spending the holidays this year and how's it different? Um, you know, I'm from Boston. My wife's from New York. So we, we never see family around the holidays, to mm. be honest. Uh, sometimes my mother-in-law will come out. Um, I was really worried about the holidays in March because I knew that it, it was going to come and it was going to, I was going to feel depressed or it was going to be shitty, but I got to say Thanksgiving was kind of awesome, you know, just cause and I'm different in a way that like we usually host like 20 to 25 friends and um, you know, I always got to clean up after them and it, it sucks. <laughs> and, and it was so good to just, it was just the four of us. We have a five-year-old, seven-year-old, uh, four of us. We put up the Christmas tree. Uh, we got, we ordered a fake one. So we put it up, we put a train around the tree, super fun. So I'm looking forward to it. We usually Christmas Eve go to, you know, church and then go to the smokehouse. Um, can't really do that, but we're going to get dressed up and cook steaks. So it's some version of the smokehouse. Right. And then on, on Christmas day, I, I usually wait. What's that? I said probably better than the smokehouse. I know. <laughs> and then on Christmas day, I usually wait in line Christmas Eve to get a honey baked ham. So mm. I'll probably still get a honey baked ham and we'll still eat it. We'll be in our PJs. Well, Prosecco mimosas, it, it, it'll be great. We'll, we'll make it great, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, everyone else will. Love that attitude. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Matt Bryan, I'm putting you on the spot. How are you spending the holidays and how is it different? Uh, I mean, obviously it's different for all those same reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will be the first year I will not be able to see my family in the Midwest. So that'll be interesting. I'm um, actually kind of glad because there's a lot of passive aggressive behavior out there. So <laughs> it'll be good to avoid that. Uh, but you know, Always I mean, looking on the bright side. Absolutely. Um, but a lot of it, you know, kind of echoes those same sentiments. So we have technology, we can do those things. And, you know, for me personally, like watching these family movies, you know, like, like I said, Scrooge, all those movies, you know, having presence, those things kind of connect me to it. And they, for me, I'm very introverted in that regard. So that gives me that kind of joy, you know, that feeling. So that really helps in that regard. Plus I got hired to write a script for, a guy in the UK. So that's me doing that over Christmas. So that mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, that's good though. Yeah, keeps me busy. <laughs> uh, Rob Edwards, how are you spending the holidays and how is it different? Uh, yes. Uh, well, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm from Detroit. So, uh, so Thanksgiving is usually uh, my brothers and I, you know, huddle around the TV and watch the lions lose. <laughs> so we did, you know, we just did that over zoom this year. Uh, you know, I just had a zoom, uh, uh, computer by the TV and then we all just did the same thing and just, Oh, okay. Well, the game's out of, out of control now. And then we just start, you know, talked about everything else. Um, Christmas will be interesting. Uh, I, I think like, like everybody, we're just kind of waiting to see what the world is going to look like in a couple of weeks. You know, will my, I have a son, a 27 year old son who's in uh, New York right now and a 23 year old who's in LA. Um, and, uh, so I don't know if my older son will be able to get on a plane, you know, I'm hoping, um, uh, little guy who knows he had a contact issue at, uh, at Thanksgiving. So we didn't see him, hmm. um, for that. So he was just on zoom. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I mean, uh, the same kind of thing where, where I, I just got accelerated on a, a script, um, 
for a big company, whatever. But, uh, but you know, one of those things were like, oh, hey, we want an outline by the end of December and a draft in March. And so uh, I would be in my office kind of huddled up anyway, uh, uh, no matter what. So, uh, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's always great when you kind of get to hug people. I miss hugging people, you know, but, uh, but, but, uh, you know, again, it's like, we're, we're being vigilant now so that we can have the best Christmas ever next year. Right. Right. Uh, Ed McCarthy, how about you? Uh, yeah, Christmas, um, usually it involves some sort of travel. I, I am from originally New York. And my husband's family is in Texas, so it was usually trying to visit one or both. Mm-hmm. That's a families, but um, you know we'll be local. Uh, we're not going anywhere. No one's coming here. You know we're shutting out society. So it's just me and him. Uh, which uh, I think it's going to be just like Thanksgiving. Um, you know all these expectations. You have to curb them away and be like, next year you you will get to do all these things hopefully, and and you know we'll probably go for a nice long walk and 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 actually talk to each other, um, you know, things like that. And I'm sure it'll be some Zooming with family and cooking and baking, um, things like that. But I'm, like, I'm not going to lie. I am so, the last few weeks, looking forward. Like, it's like, like when I was a kid looking forward to Santa, to at night pouring a double glass of Chardonnay and watching Wonder Woman. I am not lying. Like, I am so looking forward to that. Like, it is, like, I, I, I'm looking forward to just eating, getting the day over with so I can just, be in complete darkness and, and the, you know, 12 year old gay Ed is like in heaven, you know, with, with, you know, Wonder Woman. So that is going to, that's going to save Christmas. I hope for me, you know, um, I hope it's good. Um, you know, but, but that is, that's Christmas, you know, Mm -hmm. my husband, myself, Wonder Woman. No, it's great. That's great. Um, Emma. Yeah, I mean, I think mine is a combination of Amy's and Ed's. I'm going to drive up to the Bay Area without stopping. So maybe I'll see you out there, girl, <laughs> as each other. And uh, and then, yeah, just I my parents are divorced. So um, fortunately or unfortunately, I just have to pick one of them and the other one has to deal. And honestly, this whole pandemic has really helped with the boundaries I've been working to establish with people. I feel like um, that's been a real silver lining for me because my family is a little crazy. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And then just Wonder Woman is also invited to my celebration and will be the guest of honor. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, and I, w- I wanted to go down the list and ask everybody one favorite holiday moment um, and also one piece of advice it could be anything at all for the writers out there who are listening or watching to this right now um and i will start as always um with mr john zazerny i'm always putting you on the spot john but i love you what was the first part of the question favorite Uh, favorite holiday memory could be anything from childhood or recently uh wonder woman coming out that could be yours or um and then Uh, just one piece of i don't every year uh, I take I, I take a photo um, with the presents that I have where I look like a small child where I go like that around them. My wife used to make fun of the photos when I had as a kid, so I decided to start taking them as a, as a grown-up. So that's something I make a point to do every year is to act like I'm six years old again and I just got a, a Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I, yeah, honestly. No, I, that's great. I can't really pick one out. Um, 
Yeah, I guess. Or tradition. Brother, tradition is fine too, if not a memory. So that's a tradition. Yeah. You know, yeah. My brother is going to be making something called the wife saver, which might is a recipe that my mother had, which is like cornflakes and egg and things like that. That's easy to make the night before Christmas. And it's like, it's Azerni family tradition. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, in terms of advice, uh, I don't, I would say, you know, echoing kind of the holiday sentiment, um, you know, be kind to everybody, you know, everybody else has their own story. Everybody has their own point of view, their own narrative, what they're going through. I know that might sound a little cliche, but it's a holiday. So I'm going to invoke that. Um, you know, especially online, um, which is we've all of us, I think, spent, a, I don't know, all of us, some of us spent a fair amount of time on Twitter. I certainly have since the pandemic began. And I think it's always strong to be mindful of that on the other end of everything as a human being who's going through something. And I'm not always perfect at that, but I, I try to be. And I guess that would be my advice is when dealing with people in a personal or a professional sense, just remember that they're human beings too, and they're going through something. I actually have to, to, to leave the dip out right now. In fact, I have a, a, as Aaron said, we have these family get togethers on zoom more often than that. So I have one at right, right at noon and two minutes from now mm-hmm. to jump on, but thanks everybody for having me. It was great. Some of you I've met before. Some of you I've just seen on Twitter or, or otherwise, but thank you so much. Everyone's so awesome. I'm really happy to be in, in your company and thank you, Kevin, for having me on as always. Thank you as always, John. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Hey, everybody. Happy holidays. Uh, okay, uh, Matt Pitts, one uh, favorite holiday memory or tradition, and if possibly the mimosas, that's probably not too bad, and uh, a one piece of advice for writers out there. Um, I can't narrow down just one, but every year the kids and my wife, you know, everyone gets one big gift. I mean, they get a bunch of little gifts, but there's always that one gift that you're excited to give them because you know it's going to go over really, really well as you hope it does. So this year, you know, I, I think I did well. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to, you know, uh, my kids and my wife being happy with what they got. And that's always them smiling and hopefully moving them to tears is always the goal to give a good gift. Uh, and then um, best piece of advice, you know, I gave this to a class at BU a couple of weeks ago. I find, and I guess this is life too, but like smile. Like smiling in like general meetings or in a writer's room, it just goes a long way. People like when you see, when they are seen to be smiled at. And I just like, it's just, even when you're talking, just like always just have that. It just makes people feel comfortable, uh, puts people at ease. It's just like, I have found that in in meetings and in, in life, it's just smiling just goes a long way. That's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm smiling at you right now, Matt. (laughs) Uh, Chris Cook. What about you, buddy? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny that I'm already stealing from the first two people who have shared, but, at, but this is a little bit different. But as a kid, um, we would get that one big gift and it was the Santa gift. Mm. And there would, be, uh, there would be other gifts, but that would be like, and often it was too big to be wrapped. And that was the one that when we'd come out on Christmas morning, we would actually, we would walk sideways so that we couldn't see it and we'd go open the uh the stocking gifts which was a bunch of junk <laughs> and then and, and then come in for the big uh the big santa claus the big santa gift which you know the year it was a bike is quite memorable uh my brother broke his arm the day after christmas the year he got a bike uh, i i fared a little bit better um, but it's funny, you know, as far as a, ho- uh, a holiday sen- sentiment, um, 
John, John stole my thing, you know, that I, not only, you know, you think about everybody's going through something, but I think this year, especially, you know, you can, you can never, well, it's always the case that we think that people that are seemingly successful and seemingly, we don't, we, we don't think that they have problems. They have problems too. And I, I think this, you know, this year, um, you know, it's, um, obviously we know everybody's going through something. Mm. <laughs> so, so, and and I'll also steal, steal from Matt Pitts. It, um, you know, I'll be wearing a mask, when, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like when I go into uh, the pharmacy and such, um, just being, just being nice. And um, in, in a weird way this year, the pace is a little bit slowed down. So I think I'll be able to better remember that. Mm. Um, Emma? Um, my, one of my favorite holiday traditions is uh, one that thankfully is still possible and people seem to be adopting in the pandemic, which is literally just driving around Berkeley for me, which is where I grew up and like looking at all the Christmas lights. There are always a couple houses that just go, I don't know how they do it. I think it's like a neighborhood effort, um, but they always make me so happy. My seasonal depression waxes and wanes with the putting up and taking down of Christmas lights. I wish they would stay up all year. Um, so I love that. And then I guess my advice, this is something that I just um, started doing for 2020, but uh, I wrote down like, I write down it for the beginning of the year, like concrete writing goals, which aren't like get jobs because um, that's not fully in our control. It's more about like, I wanna write like a half hour pilot, an hour long and a feature just on my own. So set attainable goals and then throughout the year, keep track of, um, you know, what you actually did, which for me is surprisingly, if you have set attainable goals, you will probably surpass them. That's the goal. And then you can look back at all, like everything you accomplished that year, whether or not, you know, anyone else who was out of your control decided to let you accomplish more than that. And, um, and also I like to keep a little folder of just like nice notes that I got just maybe from my manager. Like I loved this draft or from an executive that was like, you know, probably they all say they enjoyed the meeting, but something a little more personal. Um, cause I just like to keep a record of the good news, um, mm. for times, you know, particularly at the end of the year, I think it's easy as writers to feel like I didn't do exactly like accomplished what I wanted this year. And particularly in 2020, I think that's going to be true for so many people. So just focusing on the positives right. is really helpful. Yeah, that's good. Um, I also have to jump off, but it was such a pleasure being on this and meeting all of you um, virtually. <laughs> I've only seen some of you on Twitter, so thank you thank, so much. Thanks for coming, Emma. Happy holidays, Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Right. Um, Ian Shore, you're up. Um, so I, I think um, my favorite holiday memory was from uh last year uh early in december my my wife and i are putting up our christmas tree uh she's like a few weeks away from giving birth um you know it's a dark cloudy day in la which somehow makes it more magical when the tree lights up we're listening to my favorite christmas song which is uh christmas in prison by john prine um, we're, um, you know, just, uh, I'm like drinking a glass of wine and, and, you know, looking at this, this gorgeous tree we've, we've put up and I'm getting kind of teary eyed looking at it because I, it, it occurs to me that, um, 
that uh, I you know, had only done this with my family before. Like you, you usually, you know, it, like be me and my wife going off to like see my parents or her parents and doing tree stuff at her place this is the first year that we had our own. And so, you know, she sees me getting teared up and she's like, what's up? I'm like, Oh, I just, I've only ever done this with my family. And she, she takes on the voice of the Somali pirate from uh, Captain Phillips. She's like, look at me. I am the family now. Uh, that was, that was that just brought joy to my black little heart. Uh, in terms of advice, um, years ago I was I was working with um, I was working with Ed Solomon, and he said something that has still stuck with me. His advice for how to deal with notes, I realized, was advice for how to deal with life, and it was um, approach everything from a place of gratitude and compassion. That is good for both work and life. Um, uh, Rob Edwards, can you follow that up? No. (laughs) 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 Um, No, that's great. And yeah, wow. Uh, uh, Great, great, uh, great stories. I have, um, it's funny, I have two kind of competing memories. And uh, yeah, and so one was, uh, you know, with my two sons, one, when uh, my oldest son was like four years old, uh, uh, every Christmas he would get up like super early, like he, middle of the night, like, ah, said whatever. And then, you know, run out to the living room, like, no, dude, come on, you know, let us, let us sleep a little bit. I'm like, well, when do I have to sleep until 7am? You have to sleep until 7am, you know, whatever. And then we'll all go out together and we'll be fine. So he races into the bedroom at, um, at 6.45 and stares at the digital clock. And every time it's like, okay, 6.46, hey, you know, whatever. He keeps looking back at us. Every time the thing clicks, he's just sitting, you know, like two inches away from the clock. And my wife and I were just kind of, we're trying to be stirring like, okay, you know, rules are rules. My wife turns to me like, come on, we gotta, you know, whatever. Can we, can we just, you know, can, can we just give him a break? It's like, no, absolutely not. And so, uh, uh, you know, but then at seven o'clock on the dime, whoosh, we all go in. It was the best Christmas because he's just running around like a crazy guy. And we, and we, we had had a good time shopping that year. So, so that was my one, uh, one favorite. Second was when both kids got to that point where they're kind of like, hmm, what did this, what is this thing of this mystical man who comes down the chimney and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so they started questioning us. And I said, um, well, I'll tell you what, if you don't believe in him, he doesn't come. He doesn't believe in you. So do you believe in him or not? Like, well, yeah, you know, whatever. So now as they are adults, you know, they are, you know, 27, 23, uh, uh, we still, you know, they go, uh, they, they make their list, you know, dear Santa, uh, thing we deliver the dear Santa letter from them, which is usually URLs and uh, catalog numbers, mm. and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know they just make it easy. It's like okay, great, and um, print out from Amazon. Absolutely, it's just like okay, here's a couple of pages of of things. I've circled all of the uh, parameters. You know, I'm giving you some time. Um, no PS5, no. It's not happening for anybody this year, but, um, uh, uh, but yeah, so we, we, we still do that. So that's, it's, it's super fun. Mm-hmm. And my, my advice actually came by accident this year, which was that 
uh, you know, I'm from the sitcom world, you know, since I was, I don't know, 21 or whatever. And the rooms are always super loud. So to get heard, you yell over everybody. And, um, you know, you're yelling jokes, you're yelling storylines, whatever. And that's what rooms are. But Zoom is terrible with two people talking at the same time. So you have to listen. You know, you have to let somebody complete a thought. And, um, and midway through the experience, I was like, well, this is actually kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, sometimes the end of people's thoughts is, is where all the money is. And so, so it's kind of fun to actually listen to people. And uh, so that is my piece of advice. Like listening is, uh, uh, is, is one of those great gifts uh, that you get from this horrible, horrible year. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, bro, bro, guys, I got, I got to bounce, but it was great talking to you. Yeah. Thank you likewise. for coming, Ian. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Yeah. All right. Take care. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Care, Happy holidays. Uh, who do we got? Aaron. Aaron Weiner. I just kind of wanted to, before I give my answer, I wanted to echo Rob's sentiment because it was something that I was thinking about when you first posed the question. You know, I, I think, I think listening is participating. And I think a lot of the time we, especially as writers who work in rooms, we think that, you know, we have to be talking to be participating, but you know, people, people talking, they, they, there's an audience on the other side of that. And, and being part of that is, is being part of, of, of the magic of what's going on. And so there, there is a value in listening and you are participating by simply listening to, to what someone has to say and taking it in. Um, my, my favorite holiday moment, I think I thought about it a little bit while people were answering and, you know, it has to be like when I first got the Super Nintendo uh, for the holiday, you know, uh, going like just being excited to see the box, running into my room with my father and like figuring out how to set up all the wires in the back of the TV. Uh, and then he actually sat down and, and played it with me for a little while, which was which was fantastic. And, and one of the one of the really um, great experiences of the holidays now for me is giving gifts to my daughter and, and seeing her face light up and feeling the feelings that, that she's feeling and rediscovering that feeling in myself is something that I think is, is just, you know, one of those incredible life moments. So I, I find myself looking for things to buy for her because I, I just want more of that feeling. Uh, it feels so good to give, to give her things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, my lesson, I think, uh, a little self-promotion here. I just wrote this article on this uh, new uh, writing magazine called Rye Times, but uh, it was called The Art of Losing. And, uh, and, and I think as writers, we experience a lot of losing and failure and pitches that don't go well. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of emotion that comes from that experience, especially initially coming out of that experience. But, you know, there's a challenge in losing and failing and having a pitch that doesn't hit. And the challenge is, after you get past those emotions, are you able to really look at that experience and grow and learn and take what, what you saw in that particular unique experience and, and employ it as you move forward in your life and become a better person, a better writer, to grow as a creative person? And, um, and I think that in looking at failure and loss that way, uh, we can become better people and we can... We can uh, you know, find ways to move forward. I always think of uh, Finding Nemo when Dory says, just keep swimming. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. Um, and uh, Ed, Ed, how, what about you? Um, yeah, for, in terms of holiday um, memories, you know, I'm 
youngest of four in an Irish Catholic family. So it's always the memories that where we can embarrass you. Mm. Um, you know, so for me, it was, I was probably five-ish, six. And Christmas Eve was always at my aunt's house. Like she hosted this huge family, you know, um, dinner. And one year we were driving home. Um, I don't know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And again, I'm the youngest of four. We were all crunched in the back and we're at a stoplight and the local firehouse had a fire truck out for the holiday with sirens. And on top of it was Santa. And I started screaming and crying because Santa was already in our town and I wasn't asleep. And obviously he was going to bypass our house and we were ruining Christmas. So I asked my dad to, you know, floor it, you know, we have to get home you know, and, and so I cried the whole way home. I ran, opened the door and I, I ran and, and fully clothed, hid under the bed, um, under the covers of the bed, hoping that, uh, you know, Santa would still, you know, come back. And, and, and so uh, fortunately he did, you know, we woke up and there were presents. Uh, but, you know, that still comes up probably once a year, you know, during this time where, you know, remember that time, Ed, and then for the next 10 minutes will laugh at me um, and my, and my tears. Um, so, so that's probably a, a highlight. Um, in terms of advice, I think it's echoing what a lot of people said, and it may be sentimental this time of year and this year. Um, it, be kind, but don't forget, not just be kind to others, but you have to be kind to yourself, um, especially in this industry where, you know, everyone's pace is different. Um, some people seem to get advanced very quickly. Some people, it's a marathon. Um, it's so easy to measure your life by where you are versus where you want to be um and and to to kind of sometimes judge yourself based on that so i know this is a lesson i'm always you know with and i'm in the support staff world um you know so my friends who are also writers assistants or script coordinators or showrunners assistants and 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 you know it's looking at our accomplishments not as accomplishments but as um you know failures you know like sometimes we you know, I, I, why, I'm a writer system, why, why aren't I staffed yet? Or I submit a, a, um, you know, a script to a contest and I make the semis or the finals, you know, or, you know, why didn't I win? Why? So it's easy to interpret these moments as, as, as failures instead of seeing them what they really are as, as progression, you know? Um, and so it's, it's, it's that reminder. It's like be kind to others, throw that energy to the world, but also remember to throw it back to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, because this industry can be harsh and, 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 and brutal and difficult. Um, so, and if you're not kind to yourself, you know, sometimes people won't be kind to you either. So, um, so self-love is important. It so, is. Yeah. It's yeah. good advice. Uh, Matt Bryan, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, I'd say one of my favorite traditions, which I found a lot of people don't do. I've learned this this year, but we have a little pickle ornament um that will happen in the tree and we'd wake up and the first i have a sister and whoever found it first would open you get to open their present first so that mad dash to the tree nearly knocking it over and just all the chaos associated with it was always fun so i'm gonna miss that this year but in terms of an advice for writers you know i would say definitely celebrate those little victories along the way because those little ones will really carry you toward whatever bigger goal you have I mean, that's kind of what we were just talking about. Like, you know, Ed was saying that, you know, you can really get bogged down when you really judge yourself or really critical, but you really got to look at the strides you're making for yourself, uh, not compared to other people. So yeah, just definitely learn to appreciate the good things that happen, learn from the bad and just grow with it. Mm -hmm. 
and Amy Thurlow. Hi, sorry, I keep like muting it and then okay. <laughs> the whole thing. Um, so my favorite Christmas thing is um, the Jewish side of my family celebrates mm -hmm. Christmas like way bigger than the Christian side of my family. <laughs> and so my favorite thing is like we have a giant like um, Jewish Christmas Eve party every year, um, which sadly will not be happening this year. But um, it's just such a great it's like the one time a year that I get to spend with like all my cousins and there's like all sorts of food that we do every year that's amazing and um it's just such a lovely thing um but yeah and then I was also gonna say be kind to yourself <laughs> um it's definitely I think like at the end of the year too like especially with this year it's like really easy to be like well I didn't I had so much more time or I was working from home so I didn't have a social life and all this stuff and kind of say like well I should have been more productive this year um but the reality is like we're all going through this like traumatic situation where like your brain can't necessarily like be as productive as you would like um but I think it's a good time also just to like instead of focusing on your own shit, um, I think now is a really great time to like give back and like to try to be kind to other people and aware and like try to try to think about for everything that you want to accomplish, like add at least one thing that you want to accomplish for someone else. No, that's kind. That's great. Um, we did this for the last holiday podcast, the Thanksgiving one we did at the end we opened it up to everybody to ask a question of somebody else uh, in that's, um, you know, participating. And it was interesting because uh, everybody seemed to come up with a, a good question for, and, you know, another person in, in here. We've got, you know, obviously feature writers, we've got uh, TV writers, we've got support staffers, we've got a lot of different people here. So just one question actually, actually which is great sort of springboarding uh, from Amy's uh, advice in terms of doing something for someone else well asking a question of somebody else so uh, i'll start it off with matt do you have one question for anybody else in in the uh the panel here today um i i i, I don't know i i don't have a specific question but i just want to hear more about rob edwards's uh journey with all of those cool disney movies that he wrote <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just want to, I mean, like, how was that? That that must have been so cool. I mean, I just looked at your IMDb and I'm like, you got like the best career ever. It was like so many cool things. Just like, how was the ride? Oh, it's, well, it's, it's super fun. It is, the terrible thing is it's as fun as it looks. You know, it's like you, you, the guys over, the guys over there are, they're all badasses first off you know they can all draw like crazy they all they've made these fantastic movies and um and they really bring it and so the 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 fun of it is um is that you get there in the morning and you have to pretty much show up 15 minutes earlier than you are supposed to be there because as soon as you get off the elevator, somebody's going to grab you and say, dude, I was dreaming about your movie and here's a little, you know, and they will, they will start giving you plot points and, and jokes and they'll think about your midpoint and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and it's like that all day where you just, you know, uh, for me, I like the idea of just plussing everything you, that you possibly can all the time. And also it's just, 
small. You're just dealing with John Lasseter, really. Uh, and, you know, if he likes it, he jumps in the sandbox with you and he starts playing around. How about this? Why don't you try this? Blah, blah, blah. And it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm having a, it's not on the IMDb yet, but I'm having a similar experience right now with Marvel um, where, you know, those guys, super smart. Everybody is just crazy smart. And it's, you're reading comic books in the, you know, um, uh, for most of the time you're watching great movies, referring to those things and getting in it, man, it's just, sometimes I, you know, I feel, feel, well, I mean, obviously with you and, and Westworld, you know, you're, you're, you're in a great sandbox and the people that, that come into that world are, um, are just fun to work with. They're in it for the right reasons. They're tireless most of the time. And, uh, you know, geeky and smart <laughs> in, in good, fun ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, it, I would say it's like not working, but, you know, yeah, please send the check. But, you know, but it is, but it is, it, it is, it is something that I would, I would, I would do for, for, for nothing. Great. And Rob, so now you, one question for oh, hey. somebody else in the room. Um, let's see. Okay. Um, I, well, I actually have a question for the assistants because when I, when I started my first gig, when I was like 20 years old, was um, uh, as a writer's assistant on The Mary Show with Mary Tyler Moore at, uh, at, at MTM. And, you know, it's getting, it's getting coffee and lunches and whatever. You're just driving around. The, 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 yeah, of course, it was a million years ago. So we actually printed scripts. And then I would drive all night and, and, and deliver them to, to people and then re-deliver them when their sprinklers would come on and, and uh, you know, and would soak the scripts and, and, and stuff. And I wonder, like, what do you guys, you get an, uh, a perspective that you don't get anywhere else, um, uh, you know, on the, on the process, on what works and what doesn't, because you can kind of like armchair quarterback it. And, uh, and the thing evolves so quickly. So I'm wondering, like, what, what insights can you, from your perspective, give to writers uh, about what we are, uh, well, any, any, anything. I was going to say what we're doing right or wrong, but also, like, just, yeah, just, just anything. I'll see. Uh, Amy, do you have any thoughts on that? Or Ed? Yeah, Amy and Ed. Or, I mean, Matt Pitts was formerly J.J. Abrams' assistant, so maybe he's got some. <laughs> oh. Hell, yeah, right. Yeah, let me really does. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always thought, you know, <clears throat> when you work well, Aaron, with... Aaron, yeah. Well, I was going to say, when you work with your bosses, and your bosses are clearly just very successful, or they're good at what they do, I always thought it was good to see them make mistakes. Uh, and to see that not mm. everything they put on the page is gold. You know, I've seen, you know whether it be JJ or anyone else, you know, you, you ask a question like, Oh, why did you, why did the character do that? And they're like, Oh, I don't know. I didn't think <laughs> about that. You know? So it's just good to hear that. And it just puts you like, okay, if they're making mistakes, it's okay that I make mistakes. Uh, and I'm not as intimidated. So I feel more comfortable making mistakes. There's a saying like, let it suck. Mm-hmm. Let the idea be bad because from bad ideas come good ideas. So we say that a lot in all the different rooms, let it suck. And you know, uh, yeah, that's the biggest, one of the biggest things I learned. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll just jump off that. Uh, uh, Rob, you said you worked in sitcoms for a while. One of the reasons why I love working in multicam 
is that we get to see run-throughs, we get to see rehearsals, we get to go back to the room after we see that a joke didn't work and we, 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 we rewrite that joke or we come up with a new game for that scene. Whatever it is, we're constantly adapting and we're, we're all together experiencing this creative world where, uh, where something is becoming itself, uh, you know, uh, step by step. Ed, Amy, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I feel like I have to walk a delicate line because I'm still an assistant, right? <laughs> you know. Um, so, I mean, uh, Amy, do you have something you want me to, I don't want to be. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. I'll go after. Um, I mean, I'm also in the TV drama world, so I, I know there are some similarities, but also some differences between uh, drama and comedy. So, um, you know, I mean, I, as an assistant, I really appreciate uh, being, a, you know, a writer assistant in the room and the shows I've been uh, involved with have been very open to, but like you can pitch. Um, so I, I felt part of the um, creative voice as well, not just sh like shut up and take notes on what we're saying. Um, but I, in terms of, you know, echoing a little bit with Matthew was saying um, about failure, it's also seeing showrunners and, and EPs and co-EPs not have the right answer right away. Um, mm -hmm. and, and what I mean, like when the studio or network or, you know, there's a time crunch and they may be like, you know what, give me the night. I need to think this over. Um, you know, it could be a production um, concern. Um, you know, we have a certain amount of the budget. Do you want to do it, you know, use it on this scene or that scene? One has to go kind of a thing. Um, and, um, you know, or a story, you know, creative concern. They don't want to, you know, if we do this option then we're backing ourselves in a corner that might hurt us later down, down the season. Um, so to see like the answer isn't instantaneous and, and yeah. it could be part of the collaborative discussion of, of with the room or it can be something like I need to sleep on this or, you know, catch me at the end of the day. Um, and it's okay to set those parameters, um, even though, you know, you might have the line producer or the network or the studio or all these other, uh, it's another department head, you know, coming at you uh, for an answer right now. It's okay to be like in a polite way saying no, you know. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll circle back to that in, in a timely fashion. So you make the right choice instead of a rushed one. So that's been good to see. Mm -hmm. Amy? Um, I would definitely say that the best bosses that I've worked for, worked for and like the best shows that I've been a part of, um, the showrunners have had like a really good mindset of like that they are very much open to the creative process and they um, aren't putting themselves as like, like basically being a team player, like the showrunner like has to be a team player. Like they have to work and like trust their staff. And like, I, I found that like showrunners that really respect their staff and really value that everyone has a job and everyone has strengths and weaknesses. Like, not only does the show go goes more smoothly and like they're more able to, you know, help get on the same page with the studio and network and face those battles in a better way um, and like solve production problems, but also like everyone's much happier and like just small things like give your staff a set time <laughs> to come in and come out like of the room, like barring there being a crisis. Like I, I can't, I honestly can't believe how many showrunners are just like, well, we get you for a flat number of hours. So we don't have scheduled room hours. And it's kind of like having the respect of like knowing that you're, that everyone that works on your show is a person and like is going to have a doctor's appointment or like whatever and, and need to have those things. Like, 
um, not only does it make it like a better work environment, but I also have found that like, you just get the best out of people. You get the best ideas, you get the best, um, show. And like, I don't know, that's my, that's my main, like takeaway from all this. Um, yeah. And what is your question for another person in the room? Oh gosh. Um, my question for another person, um, I feel like I didn't, can I ask very quickly what everyone's yeah. like, if everyone's in features or TV, cause I missed that part. Oh yeah. <laughs> kind of like an ask of everyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, Aaron is a writer of half hour, uh, on Disney sitting to the max. Uh, Chris Cook is a lit rep lit manager, uh, of Skyway entertainment. Um, and let's see, Ed is a writer's assistant on Amazon's Paper Girls and USA's Dare Me. Um, Rob Edwards is a writer, a feature writer, but also done a lot of sitcom stuff. But um, he uh, wrote Disney's Princess and the Frog and Treasure Planet and, and everything from Full House to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, A Different World and Living Color. Um, Matt Bryan is a writer and a great guy. And he's also one of our generous patron donors, uh, for Patreon. Um, and yeah, I think that's, did I miss anyone? I think that's everyone, I think. So there you go. Those, those, those are the breakdown again. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, uh, was that your question or do you have another <laughs> Yeah, that was my question. Okay, there you go. Like, I don't know. I if, mean, you th if you think of something else, you can shout it out. Um, I'll, I'll pass it over to Aaron then. Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, I wanted to I wanted to ask Rob more about sitcom days. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I I sort of came up in the world of multicam and have had a bunch of mentors who you know worked on shows like Cheers and and Frasier and you know, I, I think that have always, I've always sort of connected the most in that, in that world. Um, I've worked on different shows in, in different areas of the business, but, you know, I always enjoy that kind of collaborative fun on stage, most like a play type of world. So, um, you know, what are, what are some of the, the things that you loved about working in that space? Is there anything that uh, really, really stuck out to you and you took into your and employed in your, you know, further career as a writer? Mm -hmm. uh, probably, yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, two things, I think, uh, that jumped into my mind. One was, um, uh, and they're, they're both under the category of raw fear, um, that, uh, that, you, that it has to be funny, people have to laugh, you know, especially if it's multicam, 500 people are gonna come into the audience and they're, you know, and you gotta serve them up something. So when we were doing, um, when I did Rock uh, and Rock on Fox and, and Rock was live, uh, that season was hilarious because, you know, you go through all the thing of, of, of getting the script, you know, just normal script writing. And then you have to write a script that will work where all the jokes um, work if they're laughed at, but should work as dialogue if they're not laughed at. And because uh, you don't want to leave the actors hanging you know, just, uh, you know, just sitting there waiting for a laugh that's never going to come. So, uh, so that was fun. And then the other part of that, you know, uh, uh, of that world was that um, the tag at the end of the show, you know, the show would expand or contract during the show. So the tag, all of a sudden you'd have like a, 
a 30 second tag and it would need to be a three minute tag. And so everybody would turn to me like, Rob, you know, write something quick. And so I'd have to kind of write something really quick. We'd go for the mid mid show act break. We'd go up to the actors and say, okay, look, we're running really short. Um, Here's the new dialogue. Uh, Or we would do it, you know, at the commercial break at the end of the show before the tag, we would give them stuff. And Rock Dutton had a photographic memory. So he would immediately memorize stuff. Rocky Carroll was also really good. Um, uh, some of the other actors would just find ways to hide lines on the backs of props and stuff. And, and, and then we would do the show like that. On Fresh Prince, same thing. It was kind of super fun because between takes, we would... Um, between takes, if a, if a joke didn't work, uh, Andy Borowitz and I would run down to the stage and we would just start pitching jokes. We just, you know, pitch jokes to Will. And the, the fun of it was sometimes like we would pitch Will a joke and then Alfonso Ribeiro would be saying like, hey, what'd you tell him? What'd you tell him? Like, no, we're not going to tell you. And then we'd go to uh, Fonz and we would say, no matter what he says, say this after it. I was like, well, what does that mean? It's like, don't worry, you're going to get a huge laugh. And you'd, you'd run the scene and you'd you know, watch like Will say the line and then Alfonso would just get this huge smile on his face because he knew what the, you know, what the, what the zing was going to be. And then he would just go and, 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 and land it. And usually Will would say, well, I have to say something <laughs> to that. So we would, have, we would just have fun uh, uh, kind of doing it that way. That's but, cool. um, but that was a ball. And then, of course, you know, with, with, uh, with, with Fresh Prince, they just did the reunion. And um, the the show was on humble brag. The show was on for six seasons. I wrote four episodes, and three of them were featured on the on the reunion show. So, uh, including the one where Hillary barks at the dinner table. So, uh, so I was I was really uh, uh, I was really like, hey, when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> these these things worked out. So I I absolutely love sitcoms. I'd go back in a minute. Uh, and actually, I forgot to mention to Amy, uh, uh, Matt Pitts, he's co-EP on Westworld, former assistant to J.J. Abrams, which obviously is pretty cool. And he has some great stories, which he was actually on the podcast before, had some great stories. He's written for Revolution, Impulse, and Zoo. So, and he's also the nicest man in the business. Uh, Rob Edwards is right there, too. So you guys are, can battle it out for who's nice, nicer. But uh, uh yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to, I forgot because I'm going down the list. I'm like, hey, I didn't mention Matt Pitts to Amy. Uh, Ed McCarthy. One question for another person. Um, yeah. I, I mean, this might be a, a blanket question, a specific question, but to blanket to, uh, to everybody, uh, just because um, maybe Amy understands in the support staff world, you know, you spend so many hours working on a show and for other people that you have limited hours to work on your own stuff. And as you want to use it as effectively as possible to, for representation or staffing or contests, whatever. Um, and, and there's, it's still ongoing debate about and whether you should be putting effort into original pilots and having a lot of those versus spec scripts of an existing show. Um, and a lot of people say spec scripts, they're not, People don't care for staffing. People don't care for reps. It's only for contests. And some people say, I've heard a wide range of topics, but since we have some reps and advanced writers on staffs and stuff like that, it would be interesting to hear your input. And I don't want to open a Pandora's box for a long discussion because I know, you know, time-wise, but, but it would be interesting to hear just a quick assessment of 
where you're at. I'm going to ask. Vote is, yeah, Chris. My vote is for, yeah, my vote is for original material. Um, specs of existing shows are, are mostly just for the, um, uh, I mean, they can be a great tool to, to learn as a writer, um, but they're mostly just for the fellowships and such. Um, pretty much everybody across the board wants to look at original, uh, from my experience, uh, it's been that everybody wants original material. Uh, and I know Rob's mostly on the feature side now, even though with his wide range of, of sitcom experience. But I know Matt, you're, Matt's an upper level, and I'm sure has uh, seen a lot of writers come through and had to read a lot of, of uh, uh, lower levels and assistant scripts. So what's your take on that, Matt? Now, now it's when I was uh, probably like 10, 12 years ago writing specs of existing shows was a thing and i have like i have like a rescue me i have an entourage and you know like uh it's just it kind of fell out and it's not a big deal anymore and people really just want your original voice i remember when companies just started switching to be like we only take original stuff because we want to hear your voice just seemed to be the only thing so i only i only during staffing submissions i think it's really just only originals i've never read an existing show before mm -hmm. um and uh, Chris Cook, what about you? One question for another person in the my, group. My question's for the group. Um, in the writing world, uh, or just the general TV and film world, any good 2020 gift ideas? <laughs> Anyone? Alcohol. Alcohol? <laughs> that, well, that's every year, but yeah. <laughs> Matt, Matt Pitts... Um, has makes his uh family cry tear up with gifts so i'm sure he's got some great gift ideas if anyone has amazing gift ideas i'm sure it's matt Pitts. no i mean i'm just i mean this year everyone's just getting everything because it's just been such a crazy year so we're just right. trying to spoil everyone there's always that that whiskey called writer's tears that always goes over well with writers <laughs> right that's writers always tears. funny yeah um, and then and then bookmarks i love bookmarks Oh, okay. oh, very nice. Where can where can we get that sweater you're wearing? Uh, this was on uh, Merc Mercoid. I don't even something like that. I don't know. It was on Instagram. It popped up, and I had I was torn between this and Captain America, but I went with Tony Stark. Nice, nice. Um, and Matthew Bryan, who is our generous patron uh, Patreon supporter, who had to leave, he actually just sent me a question that he has asking Matt and Rob what was the defining moment of your writing career that they knew writing was what you wanted to do so Matt Rob um, okay uh, for me I think it was oddly it was like high school um, where I was doing I I started off actually drawing. I was a cartoonist and I had a, a comic strip in the newspaper and, um, and I liked that, you know, I was a kind of a wise guy. So, so I liked that. And then I wound up directing a, um, a production of uh, uh, the importance of being earnest for, uh, for my high school, like kind of drama class uh, club, whatever. And, and it was just a ton of fun. And I, and I just, I think I, in studying the material so much, 
I started to think like, oh, wow, I wonder if I could write a longer comic strip or you know, like, you know, a, a story. And what is a story? And, um, you know, and then that came to short stories. And then the, the oddly, the librarian, I went to this tiny school, Cranbrook in, in Michigan. Um, and, um, and the librarian took a lot, you know, liked what I was writing and started showing me other other works, other uh, uh, short uh, science fiction works um, uh, uh, by people, just you know, book after book. And I just ate it up. And I was like, well, do people get paid to do this? <laughs> you know, can you, can you actually do this? And, uh, you know, my dad's a doctor and he said, oh, no, absolutely not. So you know, <laughs> you're going to follow me into medicine. You, we're going to partner up and that's going to be it. And, uh, and I said, no, I, I think I'd like to be a starving artist, dad. I'd like to kind of go to Hollywood and whatever. And then when I found out that you actually get, you know, not just paid, but you can get paid better than a doctor, uh, in, in some circles, it's, uh, uh, things kind of turned around for me, but, um, but yeah, that was it. I was like, a, like just a little kid and I had, uh, some ideas, you know, some things that I wanted to say and some interesting ways I thought that they could be said and that still drives me to, you know, and then just a nerd like um, obsession with getting it right. Like watching a lot of movies, reading a lot of scripts, you know, how does, how the hell did Scott Frank write Queen's Gambit? You know, what, what, how, who sits down and writes that, you know, whatever, what is that process? What did he have to do? You know, like good grief, that thing is amazing. And, and so, so you look at that the way that some basketball players would look at the way, you know, Michael Jordan would play, uh, you know, would, would, would hit a set shot and um, analyze it, analyze it, analyze it. And that process is super fun for me. So that's, you know, that was it. Uh, and that continues to this day. Like I say, you know, reading comic books and, you know, watching movies and, and trying to figure out how these eight filmmakers, uh, including a lot of the ones that Matt was uh, in his circle you know but but how how do these fantastic filmmakers do a cute meet do a you know uh, uh, a midpoint turn do a uh, you know um what's the difference between a disney uh, end of act two and a and a marvel end of act two hugely different um and uh you know that kind of thing so that's yeah that's me um for me, I told the story in the podcast, but I was like 12 or 13 years old when Pulp Fiction came out and I asked my mom to take me to go see it. And she's like, no, it's rated R. And so uh, I asked her to go to Barnes and Noble instead. And uh, we were at Barnes and Noble. And I always go to the film section first. And there's a script of Pulp Fiction just looking at me. And I, I never really knew that scripts, I mean, I guess on some meta level, like I knew scripts were used to make movies, but I just never seen one before. So I think Pulp Fiction is one of the first to mass market paperback the script in like the exact same fonts, the Courier Final New, whatever, uh, Final Draft, um, and uh, INT, you know, EXT. I'm like, what does that mean? At the time, I'm like, um, and so I read it and I just started mimicking Pulp Fiction and stuff. And then I was like, oh, this is going to be my job. I'm going to do this, but I don't know how to do it. Like, I, I don't know anyone that's in the film business. And it's just like, I was in Boston and LA was a whole other world. And then cut to the end of end of high school and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck win for writing best screenplay. And I was like, oh, I know those guys, which I don't, but they just like seemed so relatable. I was like, oh, if they can do it, like I'm going to give this a shot. And I went to school for writing features. Um, and then I moved out here and I'm just very like, 
I, I knew there was a path. I knew there was like, you could be an assistant and then just climb. And, and I just like, okay, well, if I just do that, I will climb. And I got very lucky and I met certain people at the right time that really helped me. Um, and that was really kind of it. And I just, I always told people I was a writer, but I never asked them to read my stuff. I would rather put it in their court. Um, and so, you know, one day when I was leaving Bad Robot, uh, you know, um, some, one of the execs said, hey, you've never asked me to read your stuff. I was like, yeah, I know. It's not my thing. Uh, she was like, well, give it to me. Give me something. And, and that executive um, ended up sending me out to agents and managers. And that's how I, I got my people. So just a philosophy that I had, you know, because it always goes back to like people really just care about the person. And then you're writing second, you know. Mm -hmm. now, now, Matt, do you, do you uh, mentor people? Do you find that you're, you know, do you reach back? I, oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily, I'm not in a program, but like I get yeah. emails constantly for people yeah. to, you know, to, to meet up and stuff. And, and my, my old professor at Emerson is now the head of BU film. So I just talked to his class. I love doing, I love talking to people and, and sharing my story and, and, um, and giving back. And, and also, like, I kind of always just want to be a teacher. And like, the, yeah. like the, when this is done, I just want to teach. So like, this is like my way of uh, easing into teaching this, this stuff. <laughs> Well, you got to do it. I, I like I, I I teach a class at Syracuse. It's one day a week, but it's three hours for that for that one day, and I shouldn't be doing it. There's no, you know, it's a it's a time wise. It's it's reading 12, 15 page scripts plus outlines per week. It's a it's a ton of ton of reading, but it's so much fun, you know. And uh, and the kid, everybody, they just remind you of who you were when you were you know yeah, awesome. like just super excited to get into the industry yeah highly recommend i don't know how you do it rob and uh matt knows trey calloway who teaches at usc as well who's also a showrunner um matt knows him very well uh i have no idea how you find the time to work as a writer and teach at the same time and i asked yeah, trey that i'm like how do you do that trey how do you do that he's just like, i just do it I, I love doing it and i'm like that's insane you're a showrunner and you teach at USC at the same time every year. It's crazy. Oh yeah. Well, it's like, it's like, you know, what Aaron was asking about a sitcom, what I leave out in that is that you don't sleep while you're doing a sitcom. You go to sleep at three o'clock every night. Um, you know, I had an office, my office, my contracts always said I needed to have a seven foot couch and a shower in my office because I would just, I'd show up on Monday with a big bag of shirts and underpants or whatever. And, the, <laughs> and I would just, I would live in my office all week. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it seems like torture unless you really, really dig it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, so you just find a way. And for, you know, uh, I had been complaining about the level of screenplays being written out of these programs for so long. And they said, well, Rob, nobody like you wants to, wants to teach, you know, uh, put up or shut up. And I was like, uh, you know, okay, fine. You know, uh, one day a week, um, they have to turn in stuff early because I have to read it and, uh, and I'm going to beat them up. And I'm like, have at it. So yeah, the kids love it and, and we have a good time. And for me, it's my one day of the week when I'm like, ah, great. You know, I actually mm -hmm. look forward to it. I'm like, oh, good. Here comes the Zoom. And Zoom makes it super easy. Right. You know, I don't have to go anywhere and, right. and you know, all that. One, um, just jump in here for a second. Uh, yeah. One of the most fun experiences I had last year was 
uh, a mentor and friend of mine who's a sitcom writer uh, teaches at USC and he invited me to speak to his class because he knew that he was an older guy who had had a, a very storied career, but he knew I was a younger guy who may be able to relate to these kids on a, on a different level than he would. And it was one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had was to be able to talk to these, these um, students and answer their questions. And I think that you just find yourself so immersed in like the flow of the work that this is kind of what you naturally do. It doesn't feel like work and you just kind of get caught up in wanting to help other people develop these skills and talents that they, that they feel the same way about. Mm. Um, and so to wrap it up, I just wanted to get, maybe give you a guy's an opportunity to shout out a social media, your Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and just maybe a holiday message for everyone watching or listening. Um, I'll start it off with, well, Aaron, you're right here. Sure. So uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Wiener Aaron. Uh, so it's W-I-E-N-E-R-A-A-R-O-N. Uh, really active on there. It's a really fun place, especially for writers to get engaged. And Aaron's very funny on Twitter. Not that oh. you're not funny in person, but you're really funny on Twitter. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy it. I think it's, it's a, it, we were talking a little bit before about how you really want to sort of grab someone's attention, but then you want to show them this great story that you have. To me, that's Twitter, right? Twitter mm -hmm. is grabbing people's attention in the short term and showing them what you can do in that medium. Uh, but I also just, uh, you know, just a general message to everybody, uh, stay safe and, uh, you know, try to have fun in the world that we're in and do the best with what we have and, and, and try to find that holiday, holiday magic, whatever that, that is for you, um, you know, given the world that we're in. Mm -hmm. How about Chris Cook? Uh, my Twitter, which I uh, I need to get more actively involved. I, I read uh, I read uh, other people's tweets more, a lot more than I tweet, but uh, it's take the sky away, um, and I need followers, so bring it. Yeah, so go follow Chris Cook. He'll read your tweets. <laughs> he doesn't tweet yeah, that yeah. much, but he'll read your tweets. Exactly. Uh, and a general um, a message for the holidays for people. Uh, just everybody, be safe and 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 be well and. Um, uh, try to find the, you know, try to, to just like we were talking about pitching, you, you got to be able to pivot this year. Yeah. Uh, um, find the thing you couldn't, you know, the thing you can't do might be, there might be something else that you can do that's, that's interesting that, uh, you know, take advantage of the disadvantage as it were. Mm -hmm. Amy? Um, my Twitter is a Thurlow, um, spelled just the way that it, uh, sounds. We'll, we'll have a link for everyone's Twitter, but just. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, my holiday message is again, like be safe, wear a mask and, uh, call a friend and have like, you know, just because you're isolated doesn't mean need, that you need to be disconnected from everyone. Mm -hmm. Ed? Yes. Um, technically I'm on Twitter. Um, but I, I kind of, I haven't tweeted in well over, I don't, I don't understand Twitter. I try to get it. And I used to actively use it just to bash companies that instead of waiting at an hour on customer service, I'd be like, Hey, right. I did air. You screwed me out of this thing. And then within three minutes, please call us. It totally I, works. It totally worked. And I used that like for Twitter for like six months and then I stopped, but this is, maybe I'll get back, but, um, Instagram, I'll, Facebook. Uh, so Ed McCarthy one at Twitter and Instagram, which I use much more frequently, is Ed McCarthy underscore high. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's that. Um, 
but I'll try to get more on Twitter. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm echoing a lot of well wishes, happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. Um, you know, help others, but also help yourself. And for me, in terms of goal, 2020 was a wash. So every single goal I had for 2020, pause, pushing to 2021, um, and, 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 you know, rest up. And in a few weeks, we'll start over with the new year. So. Right. Uh, Mr. Pitts. Uh, I, I am not on social media. I'm not active. So you're, you're the smart one of, of the group here. <laughs> you're the smart uh, one of the group. But um, I, I will say this year is, is 2020 is so hard for so many people in a lot of ways. But for us creative types who like to live in our heads, it's a gift. And, and there's, I've, I've enjoyed more times this year than I've had more enjoyable experiences than negative. Um, and I think it has to do with just we are creative people who, who will find ways to entertain ourselves. And I'll add as a parent, which I know you are as well, are, are my son and, and uh, uh, your son and daughter close to the age, my son right. seven, getting and them being homeschooled, getting to spend so much more time. Sometimes it's difficult as because they're homeschooled, but I just keep thinking to myself, I'm spending so much more time with my son than I would normally get. And I may never get that opportunity again to be with them so much. So it's the uh, best. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll let Rob Edwards carry us home. Anchor leg. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, um, uh, yeah, for me, it's like the, um, Social media. Well, I, I, yeah, the social media. I have. I, I think I'm a little bit like uh, like like Chris and 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 Ed, where I am on social media. I had these grandiose plans of like, yes, and I'll do social media, and um, <laughs> and no, absolutely not. So I'm, but I'm everywhere at I am Rob Edwards um, uh, on stuff. I even have a website, robedwards.net, um, where I was, I was being good about it. I was writing like two things a week and whatever, and then it got hacked. And then I just, I, I was so upset with trying to kind of cleanse the hack out of my uh, site that I kind of stopped doing stuff. Mm. Um, um, but I will get back to it uh, because on top of everything, I'm actually trying to write a book to give to the students in my class and blah, blah, blah. And that will probably be published at some point. Um, Advice wise, uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm with Matt that, that, that when the when this first happened, I was kind of I felt bad because I had zero change in lifestyle. You know that 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 most most days I just I, I wake up, I roll out of bed, I sit here and I and I and I work, and then I inevitably fall asleep. You know, with a pad in my hand or something, or and uh, and then I you know wake up and and, and do it all again. So so uh, so a little bit like you know we we're dealing with this for a little while longer, embrace the suck. And it's a good chance to be really super productive. So be super productive. And the way I look at it is, you know, write your favorite movie, um, sit down, write your favorite movie, show it to friends, email it to, to, to friends who you think will beat you up, not supportive, you know, happy friends, people who are like super critical, um, you know, take their notes, rewrite it, rinse, repeat, you know, and uh, that's how you get good. You're never going to be in a situation where you write one thing and, uh, and everybody just praises it and it gets made into a movie. You're rewriting things. Professional, rewriter, uh, professional writers are rewriters 
and we re rewrite things constantly for directors, for actors, for the set. You know, it rains someday, you know, uh, time, you know, reshoots. You're always rewriting things. So just get into that rhythm now um, and have a hell of a lot of fun with it. You know, enjoy, enjoy life, you know, leave an interesting, lead an interesting life and, and, and put it on paper mm -hmm. and have a great Christmas. <laughs> So happy holidays to everyone. And thank you all for participating in the panel. We appreciate your time. For those listening and watching, every member of the panel has been on the podcast or uh, have done interviews. Go to scriptsandscribes.com. Follow all these folks on social media. Um, and we, I have to have all of you guys back individually where we can have a little more time so that we're not in the big group discussion because uh, I love talking to all of you guys have such interesting diverse stories and and experiences that it's, it's fantastic um but thank you again all for participating and thank you all for listening happy holidays merry christmas happy hanukkah all that good stuff and uh thank you, thank you guys thank you thank you Bye. Hey. Thanks, Kevin.